idea for all this really came from a dream? Yes, it did. Good evening and welcome to Knox Monday. Good afternoon, I suppose. Tonight's guest is John Chadwick. John is an illustrator, animation, filmmaker, writer, and educator. His art ranges from the written and spoken word to books, covers, book covers, and model making. His work has been exhibited, printed, and performed in various forms since his 1995 film, Spiritual Love. was nominated for a Young Narrative Filmmaker in the Year at the 1996 British Filmmaker Short Film Festival. In 2010, he was awarded the Writer-Illustrator's Boosery from the Fuels Trust at the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. In 2014, his animated short film, The Brain, was selected by Sergei Bromberg to appear in the Showcase of Animation, inspired by Charlie Chaplin at HAFF, the Holland Animated Film Festival. John is currently an administrator of the popular Facebook group, Folk Horror Revival, where he facilitates the Young Artists of the Month Award, He's also the co-host of Drawing Out the Spirits podcast. John, welcome to the show. And he's quiet. Oh, John, we can't hear you. I think you're muted. <laughs> and welcome, by the way. <laughs> Still can't hear you. This is funny. We were chatting away forever. I wonder what happened. The difference. No, we're, we're watching. We're watching. John. <laughs> we're here, people. It's not Nox Mente without a gremlin. Still can't hear you, John. Psychic energy. Well, I'm glad to be back after my yeah. week. Sorry, everyone, about that. I sounded atrocious. It was painful to speak. Hello. Hello. There we are. Hello. Are. <laughs> That was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, yes, what considering we were chatting earlier. <laughs> Thank you for that amazing intro. <laughs> You're welcome. I feel like I've won an Oscar. I should be thanking I took it off your website, so. Oh, yeah, it's out of date as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll feel this in at the end of the show. Definitely. I'm so excited to be here. It's great. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming. We're very excited. Uh, also, and this has already been a great show with the pre-talk. We've just been chatting away. John and I actually annoyed Jerry. <laughs> it didn't annoy me. It was like you didn't realize. But I didn't care because no one was listening. I don't think anyone is yet. Yeah. Oh, oh God. We weren't live, were we? No, but I did record it. So. Okay, cool. Oh, so anyway, here we are, John. I'm so glad that you are here, especially at this we're in an auspicious time of the year, uh, and and everything is feeling you know wild. What a wild season, as they say it is. So let's just jump right in and give us a taste of your earliest memories in life and the things that stick out therein. So go deep, go way back. Um, I people do not believe this, but um, I was in Canada at about eighteen months. Um, staying with family over there with uh, uh, my parents and um, I remember being in a swimming pool in um, uh, and I remember going to a children's kind of theme park um, in Ontario called Storybook Park and um, and it's strange I shouldn't I, I surely shouldn't have those memories um, I, literally being a I was a baby mm -hmm. so there we go yeah 
Um, and the vivid, you know, the colours are vivid and the memories. Um, and um, there's something in particular that I remember. They had, um, it was like a hippo's head or something sticking up out of a pond and you slid down inside it. And there were windows in it and you could see the beavers swimming around. That's how I remember it. But, um, you know, there's probably people who listen to this who have been there and think, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> so it could be a false memory. But, um... It sounds wonderful, actually. It, it, you know, I, I wonder, so give us some more imagery around that. So, did, and of course your parents, your mother probably confirmed that you had been there, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things is that they took cine camera film footage. And I've often thought, well, how, is that where I've picked it up from? But um, I have it point of view, and so um, that doesn't make any sense. Um, I also remember going down to my uncle's um, friend, Bernie. Um, he had um, a deck in his house. Um, you know, you, you go downstairs underneath, um, and there's more rooms down there. And I remember being carried down the stairs. And uh, he had shelves that had what looked to me like toys on the shelves. Um, and I distinctly remember them. They were like figurines. And I've since been told that um, the reason why I wasn't allowed to get hold of them like I wanted to was because they were all um, basically obscene. Uh, <laughs> they were the kind of thing that if you squeezed or pushed the head down, certain... <laughs> anatomical actions would take place <laughs> so oh um, i love those <laughs> so, um, you know and that comes as quite a shock to me really because in my memory they these are kind of like really nice things yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness i love that there's there are these toys from the 18th century I love. They were adult toys, obviously, but they were these dolls that were anatomically correct, and they would they were court dolls, and you know they're really quite naughty, very very naughty. Some of them were you know drag queens and all that, and so all that stuff just reminds me of the the dandy period mm -hmm. and all that good stuff. What about, so I, I want to look at this dream a little, this not dream, this memory. So the water and the hippo under the pond and stuff, do you have any military in your family? Well, my grandfather was um, a captain during World War II. He was on the cannons um, during, oh no, it wasn't the Blitz, it was the Battle of Britain. Or was it the Blitz? I can't remember. Oh, yes, yes, mm -hmm. I do. It was um, Royal Artillery. Um, and, um, yeah, he, he, interestingly, if he told me, it must have been about a week before he died, he must have known he was dying. Um, he opened up and he said to me, you know, he said, whatever went up has got to come back down again. And I was like, right. He said, I think I destroyed more of London than Hitler did. Oh, wow. Yeah. So um, he obviously oh. held that throughout his entire life but um, yeah. think about it it makes sense <laughs> you know <laughs> um yes yes well whatever goes up must come back down so there they were fighting it does make sense what a sad ordeal altogether yeah you said the chances of hitting anything were ridiculous i mean they had to work out it, uh, mathematically um using um all kinds of equations to work out where things were what angles were 
and then work out basically how fast it's going and then shoot in front of it so it'll actually hit it. He said your chances of hitting anything were slim. So he said it's got to come down somewhere. And if you're firing over the city, where else is it going to come down? Yeah. Oh, no. that's so sobering. But, but that's it. Um, um, our, our uncle did his national service and that, that's it. Don't have any, any other. What about, so where were you born? Like, where did you grow up at least? Oh, I was born in the beautiful, I'm being sarcastic here, the beautiful <laughs> northern British um, town of Middlesbrough. Um, which is, you know, it's one of those places that needs a lot of investment in it, um, but it's a great place for the people and the sense of humour. Um, there's a very unique sense of humour there. It's very um, irrational, I think, and quite surreal. Um, so, yeah. And then I was brought up about 10 miles um, south of, um, of there on the border of the North Yorkshire Moors. Um, in a little town called Gisborough, an ancient town. Um, oh, I like that. Remains of a priory in there that Henry VIII had knocked down, which allegedly was haunted. Mm -hmm. It was a very odd place for a lot of things to do with um, Fortiana, um, in my opinion. Um, you know, um, it was a great place. I mean, it, it was forestry there, so I spent a lot of time amongst trees and fields. You were talking to somebody else about building forts. We call them dens here. That's all we did. Um, dug little traps for people to step into with spikes in the bottom of them. Oh <laughs> you, know? you were serious. Yeah, we were Lord of the Flies. Yes. yes. <laughs> so these moors that you grew up near, did you ever have any, actually in, in any period in your early earlier youth, did you have any... I guess paranormal experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I must have been about three years old. We um we were very close to the town of Whitby. Um, you know. Oh, yes, all the yes. Um and um it's Simon Park's territory. Uh, in home of Whitby Jet. Oh yeah. My friend Loz makes that. You've probably got some of his. Um, I I could. <laughs> I usually most of my jet is Victorian. Oh right. Well, I was there, um, and I must have been about three years old, and I apparently had said to my parent, where's my ship? <laughs> and they were saying, what ship? What are you talking about? These are fishing, fishing boats, because it had a fishing industry at the time. I think it might have one uh, fishing trawler left um, these days. But, um, yeah, um, I went on to recount um, that I had a ship, and um, it was called the Whitby Rebound. Mm. Um, I have researched and I have looked for it and I can't find any record of it at all. I mean, I did some work for the museum there um, at one point, which is one of the only places I believe in the world that's got a hand of glory. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. Which is pretty grim. Uh, <laughs> what yeah. did that look like up close? Um, like it was made out of cardboard. It was, it was so... Um, it, I mean, honestly, you, you've seen these documentaries where they, they pull mummies out of um, tombs and unwrap them. It yes. Like that. Yes. Um, but it still had its fingernails on it. It was really, really withered. Um, I've never been up close to a real one. And so, I mean, and so that's the, yeah, that I've probably seen a picture of that one in like old Doreen Valiente's photos of well, stuff she would access. 
I believe, if this is true, um, that it was found above um, a mantle, above a door, in an, a cottage in a little nearby village called uh, Castleton. And um, not only was the hand there, but there was a piece of po poetry, um, the spell, um, with it. So then you'd write the fingers, um, and you know the 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 amount of the amount of um, flames that would stay alight told you how many people were in the house that you were about to burgle. So if yes. they all went out, you could then go in. Um, and the only other thing I know about it is that they tended to use left hands from red-haired people. That was a big thing. But they had to have been hanged. Yes, I heard hanged for like thievery or stuff like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, the lore around the Hand of Glory is just so fascinating. Uh, oh, poor red-headed people. I heard someone the other day talking about how the red-headed people are from uh, Lyra. The cat That's people. Uh, in space. A, a star constellation. The Lyrians. Uh, like, the Lyrians are allegedly cat people, and the red-headed... Uh, the gingers here are are from that lineage, that DNA lineage, if that shit's true. You know, it's funny because I'm a ginger and I find that I'm more attracted to dogs than, than cats, just, in, you know, because I have wolves and stuff. So I'm so glad you said cats because I, I actually thought you were going to say people then. So I want to get back to this boat. So that you found nothing with the Whitby rebound. Oh no, you went out again, darling. Is that Mike? I'm not sure what it is. I keep clicking the mute. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah, you're back. Yeah, if I click mute and then click it off again, I, um, it's back on. I don't, don't ask me why. Um, it's our daily grim. It's the gremlin of the day. There's not a lot of background noise, so don't worry about it. Um. Okay, well, that's, uh, I can't remember what you asked me. So the, the whippy rebound, did you, and so when you went searching for it, you were four years old when you had brought this up, and later when, when you went searching for it, did you go back on very old records, say, like, I you know? I actually asked the um, two brothers who were run the museum at the time. Uh, oh, oh, the surname was Pickle. I always thought I was found quite amusing. Uh, but the Pickle Brothers uh, checked it out for me. They found nothing. But what one of the things that's true, there are so many Whitby's, particularly um, outside of the Atlantic. There were Whitby's um, managers as well. Those in mm -hmm. So there is absolutely no reason why it has to be history. Yes. I, f I find this really fast. When this stuff comes up, especially from such a young, you were so young when you brought that forward that it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a jewel that should be sussed out, in my opinion, further. So back in this period, were you... It'd make so a great name for a fast food restaurant. I'm going to whip you, so why anything? John, your sound is very low, by the way. Right, hold on a moment. Am I better now? Yes. Okay, there we go. We'll just hold the mic. Oh my goodness, sorry. All right. 
Oh, it's one of those Yeti globes. You can turn the gain up on that. Is there a button or a twist knob? If not, don't worry about it. Just get up there and kiss that thing. <laughs> <laughs> so back in these early days, did you have... Uh, how, how was your relationship with dreaming? Do you remember that you were a child that had dreams? Yeah. yeah. I actually, I, I have a memory of one from when I was about three years old. Um, <laughs> There was a television program that was on over here. I'm not sure if it was Czech or Russian or something. It was dubbed into, in, into English. Um, and it was about Cinderella. Um, and um, I have a memory of dreaming that I lifted up a piece of carpet in my room and there was a trap door. And if I went down into the trap door, I went into this television program. And there were all the characters there. So, yeah. That's fascinating. Um, I, there's so much underground stuff with you, a lot, you know, with the hippo thing yeah. and the basement and this. I'm intrigued by this thread we've got going. It's, did you have, so in this early period also, did you have typical fears like of the dark or of the wood under the bed? Uh, later I did. Um, I remember being very scared that there was a graveyard not so far away from the house. Um, but, you know, it, it, it wasn't until I was about 15 or 16 that I started to tell my parents that I was experiencing things and I was holding it in. And I honestly thought that, um, like a lot of people who go through this, I thought maybe I, I had something like schizophrenia or something. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't telling anybody. And when I told my mother, she said, well, we all do that. We all see that. Don't worry about it. You were like it when you were a kid. And I was like, what? <laughs> she, said, yeah. she said, well, because you never slept. You always had insomnia, which I was saying <laughs> earlier. Um, we used to come into your room and you were there talking to people and playing with people. And when we'd tell you to go to bed, you'd wave your friends goodbye. Um, and yeah, it's strange. I have no memory of this. And I don't ever recall having an imaginary friend. My sister did. who was uh, three years older than me. Um, but no, I, I, it, that's just very odd. I have no memory of that. And it's quite strange because I have vivid memories of these other things, but I have no memory of that. So, um, so yeah. it's interesting. I, I love that you have a really good grasp on some of this early stuff. Some people have no, you know, no memory before a certain age, usually in their, until they hit puberty. And so this is, this is really, I filled up a whole page on this. Sorry, it's juicy. <laughs> so with with the fears okay so it must have first of all it must have been a relief that your mama your mother was so calm about that and validating yeah. did that give you some sort of internal acceptance to move further um it did but um they were very always very um because it was a it, I was going to say it was a religious household. It wasn't really. We were church. Church of England was what I was raised as. Um, the only time we ever went to church, as far as I remember, was maybe at midnight mass. Um, I don't ever remember um, being a big one for it. What are the key differences uh, between the C of E and like Roman Catholicism? Um, 
one allowed Henry VIII to get divorced. Right. Besides that. And their priests can get married. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, basically, if I've been to, when I've been to a Catholic church, which I have been because um, I've um, had Catholic girlfriends. Um, Sorry. <laughs> it's it's the parents' fault for raising them that way. Yeah. Uh, so um, yeah, I, I didn't think there was anything much different in the service. I mean, you can get divorced, obviously, with uh, the Church of England, and if you have a child out of wedlock, you don't get um, excommunicated. Mm. Um, okay. So you can I wear was a always curious. Yeah. Um, no, no, no. no. <laughs> I don't know what else. I wouldn't be a member of any organization that would have. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that answers our re religious stuff when you were young. So you were basically just almost like, uh, you know, not, not devout. Just ca seems casual. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, when I started listening to Iron Maiden, my, I could tell my <laughs> mum. Um, and um, she, I, I wanted some tarot cards and she wouldn't have them in the house. Um, oh, my. I remember a book club being on the back of some magazine that she was getting. And um, in the middle of the page where it showed all of the pictures of the books, there was Alistair Crowley's magic yes. <laughs> spelled with a K. And um, I was like, my God, what's this? And she was like, you are not ordering that. I will not have this in the house. Um, so, um, so, yeah, so by the time that I developed um, an ear for bands like Slayer and Morbid Angel and Napalm Death, um, I, I, I know my mother wasn't very happy. Um, I I love that you bring up the the everything at one point modern people don't understand this was at the back of catalogs or sometimes on in the you know in the last note pages of a book that from that publisher and so much juicy stuff you could get yeah. through I mean just looking at those ads just was the imagination would stir I love that that feeling that happened and now everything is just so easily accessible and it doesn't see you can go looking it's easy to find but back you know not that long ago it was just seems more mysterious oh to get hold of any books um on 14 subjects you know yes lucky if you could find those things in a bookshop and if you did it would have been the most mainstream thing um you know and, and it I always find it quite interesting that people will be like, um, oh, well, I, well, I've never seen anything and I don't believe in these things. Well, I'm not surprised if that was the information that was out because it was so watered down and tame and um, yes. um, that, you know. Um, however, the, the, there were a lot of Fortean publications. Britain in the 70s um, was a very strange place for particularly children's TV. Some of the programs that were on, like um, Children of the Stones um, and, and the like, um, we were raised in a culture of the supernatural. Um, I remember the one of the books at school that kept coming up over and over again that we were reading as a class was um, The Ghost of Thomas Kemp by Penelope Lively, mm -hmm. which is still one of my all-time favorite books. Um, if you've not read it, check it out, because it's about a boy who releases a poltergeist into his house. Um, <laughs> so I was quite interested in a lot of those kind of things. And um, 
and books on horror movie monsters and um, yes. with monsters, Ray Harryhausen films. Um, Hammer too. Hammer. Well, that was much later. Uh, they started to show those late night on TV. Um, I used to, um, I, I used to watch them, but I must have been about seventeen or eighteen at that time. Um, uh, yes, yeah, so they were in rerun because uh, they were sixties, mostly yeah. and early early seventies. Yeah, I, so I went through a period of just recording all of these things off TV. Those and any UFO film that I could find, um, you know, and Doug McClure films, <laughs> The Land That Time Forgot. Yes. Oh uh, man, I love that one. At the Earth's core, etc. Yeah, know. the 70s were fantastic. There was a definite revival, but it was still hard to get real material. Mm. So that's why it was exciting to see things in the back of magazines or, you know, just strange strange places to get the real deal books. Well, I was absolutely blown away that there was this guy who had written this book about magic and it was real. <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? It doesn't make any. It didn't make any sense to me. Well, magic isn't real. It, it's not true. So how can it was this man? And then suddenly discover this Ozzy Osbourne song, and it's like, oh my god, who is this, Mr. Crowley? Uh, you know. Um, you know, you mentioned that Cro the Crowley, Crowley, and uh, magic poster, or the picture you saw with magic with a K. Whatever you'd said before. Yeah, it was it was in an effort for, um, for a book club. So you, I don't know if you remember, they used to have um, all these books one after the other on different things. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so you might have had some romance in there, a bit of Stephen King, but then slap bang in the middle. <laughs> it was Alistair Crowley's magic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, well, my eyes a, went wide. <laughs> I had a, a mini sinker on that. I had found, I found it posted this meme today. If magic was easy, I would have pulled called it to your mother. Oh, <laughs> you as well. It has, uh, has Crowley and the word magic with a K in it. So I just thought that was interesting. Grandmother, I would have thought was more appropriate because uh, yes. he, he wasn't um, <laughs> he, he wasn't bothered, was he, about who who, where, and when? I mean, he boasted about uh, um, old ladies, didn't he? I don't didn't you I, remember. I think as long as there was something on the end of his dick, he didn't care. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So you mentioned tarot, um, and when you asked, how old were you at that point when you, your mother wouldn't let you bring tarot in, but you yeah, wanted a deck? About 15 or 16. Um, but you have to remember as well, well, you, you won't because I haven't told you yet. How could you remember? Um, I um, had carved a pentacle onto my arm <laughs> with a compass um, at, in a chemistry class at school when I got bored. <laughs> you oh, know? my. So um, that was the one and only time that I've ever done anything remotely like self-harm. Um, and, um, you know, um, and I did it because, you know, I really loved Slayer. You know, when you're a teenager, <laughs> these, yes. things, these things are important, right? Uh, yes. I look back and you just think, what kind of, kind of a dickhead <laughs> does that? Yeah, that's a medal all the way. Oh, yeah. Um, I had a funny experience um, with um, with that um, in Hereford Cathedral. My cousin Mark had come over from Canada, and every time I see him, which is very rare, he brings this up. Um, we were in Hereford Cathedral, um, and mum um, and dad had gone off somewhere or other. They had Map Monday in there, which is a really old medieval map. And mm -hmm. while we were in the cathedral, my pentagram started to kind of like tingle. And, 
and it was just like what the hell is that and he was basically it's gone red and it would really really come up so um having been fans of the lost boys we decided we were going to try and find a font and um cover my arm in holy water <laughs> and when we got to the font it was locked and it was like what that's ridiculous people might need holy water for all kinds of things maybe but um yeah so we decided to light a candle and say a prayer get rid of it and while we were sitting there this homeless person came up and sat next to us and out of the blue he just sat there and he said um you don't believe in any of this do you this is all rubbish you don't want to believe in any of this it's not real um i'm homeless people are giving them money they never give me anything you don't want to believe in any of this mm. and honestly we freaked um and um we, we were absolutely convinced that the devil had uh, had come in the guise of a homeless man and, and tried to persuade us to uh basically um not douse the pentacle with holy water etc i have no explanation for any of that um Yes, it may have just been a coincidence. Yes, he may have just been a, a, um, a bitter bloke who was in there. Who knows? But it was just quite strange that it was at that time that we were wanting to do this. I, I live for those experiences, as you probably know from yeah. listening. I mean, that is completely one of those things. If you're in a dream, those, that's one of those things that just calls you into lucidity because it's so strange and out of, out of the usual. Yeah, and and so many times, as we know through literature and oral tradition stories, masters we see it in Asian culture all over. Masters are homeless, or you know, they're they're they seem to be considered lowly in societal standards, and there they are, you know, out of nowhere with this something profound that that takes you out of out of the nowness into a rather eternal moment of this is strange. What do I do with this information? And, and can, and can redirect you. Well, my, my cousin, Mark, um, he's not never really been interested in any, any of, any of these things. As far as I remember, he was more into his ice hockey and chasing girls, as I remember. Um, and um, yeah, he, he always brings this up. And he always says, wasn't that weird? And, you know, there's times where I completely forget about it and he'll, bring, he'll, he'll have brought it up and, I'll, and I will have been, yeah, that was really strange. I'd forgotten about that. But I've had a life full of very strange synchronicities and odd things like that. And I believe that they're almost like these are stepping stones. Mm -hmm. uh, you know how um, a computer, when you pressed return or it was running through a piece of code, it would beep and it would tell you basically, yes, that line is correct or yes, you've done that correctly. I almost feel like uh, these synchronicities may be like um, life telling you, yes, you're on the right track. No, you're not. Yes. I, I, um, I, I almost feel as though that's what happens. But um, some of them are very odd, very strange. And it's like, if it's a coincidence, it's one hell of a coincidence and the odds are ridiculous um, well the, the nature of it alone because it, it, it be, because of the strangeness calls you out of of your normalcy and so yeah. you know for me it's i've always called them checkpoints in time especially if there's a deja vu involved oh yeah 
And so I want to get, before we get too far down that road, tell us about how you experience dreaming. So, you know, the landscape of it, tactile, sensate, all that. Um, I don't ever recall any smells. So um, that's one of the first things. But everything else um, is vivid colors. Um, and um, tends to be a lot of my friends are in there. I've woken myself up laughing. There tends to be a lot of a lot of good humor and stuff in my dreams. Um, and but most importantly, over the past few years, almost every single dream I've had has taken place in this one city. That um, I have got to the point now where I actually know my way round. Um, in fact, I've taken people out for um, a night in this place and taken them to pubs. Um, and um, I've been to the theatre there. Um, I've been to the airport. I've taken planes. Mm. Um, there's a great set of shops that sell all kinds of um, one of these dusty old shops, like you were talking about before. You know, full of all the books that I would ever want to buy. Loads of vintage comics, vintage records, um, vintage toys because I love um, old toys. I collect old toys. Yes, me too. Um, <laughs> my studio's full of them. Um, I, I'm too. I'm surrounded by old toys. I've, I just picked up a 1970s Kermit the Frog, which I've got next to me here. Oh, <laughs> I see him behind your head. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, this place is amazing. And when I first started dreaming about it, um, I was a bit confused because I thought it was York which is a city that I know quite well in, um, in this country. And um, I would be able to walk down this area called Coppergate. And um, this shop was on a street behind it that I used to go into. And then it became a bigger place and a different place. And it almost had more kind of a European look. And I became absolutely convinced it was Prague, not that I'd ever been to Prague. Mm. Um, so it had an old feel. Yeah. And... Um, down by the river, because it has a river, there was an archaeological, this is the maddest thing, there was an archaeological dig taking place and they were digging up a Viking longship. And for, oh. I'd, I'd dream after dream after dream and they were digging it up. And then I would suddenly I'd have a dream and they basically were now building a museum to put it in. And, um, and then um, a while later in other dreams, um, you would now be able to get Viking longship trips up the, up the river. You could pay to go on these things. They had the Viking longship, uh, the original, in the museum. Um, and you could go around and take all this information in. And it's like, this is weird. This city is progressing in time um, at, a, at a similar rate to real life. And that, that's just weird. You know, the mind is an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't know how that works. Maybe this is an astral plane another place that I, I dwell. I, I am uh, parallel I reality. There's a lot of imagery with ships with you as well. And this is the first time, this is why, especially why I'm fascinated by dream architecture and ask about this. You have a fully realized space here, a city, and with all this amazing stuff that is that is growing with you but you you've taken people so i want to know tell me about 
the airport and taking planes within your dream experience. Yeah, that is really strange. Um, The airport is at the top of a shopping mall, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, there must be several floors to this shopping mall. Now, the top of the airport connects to a monorail, so you can take the monorail um, and go off into the countryside. Um, The airport... Sometimes I've had dreams where I've been quite concerned that I'm going to be late and I'm going to miss my flight. Um, I've had dreams where I've got there and I've realized I haven't got my passport with me. Um, I've had dreams where I've suddenly discovered that I'm going on holiday with an ex-girlfriend and I don't really want to go on holiday with her. Um, <laughs> that's been awkward. Um, there's, uh, yeah, it, 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 and it's just like being in an airport. And then you go and you get onto the plane um, and um, it's almost like a space rocket, mm-hmm. which is very odd. And it's almost like sitting in the nose of an aircraft uh, rather than a nice, comfy passenger seat right at the very front. Um, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've gone to Canada several times to see family out there um, and, um, and come back. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, just, it's just an absolute functioning airport. But it's odd that it's on top of this building, but on the outside you can't see the airport. It's just this mall um, with no airport. But once you get in there and you go to the top, there's an airport there. When you're flying, when you're in flight, in in through this airport, through the portal of this airport, what is the sensation like? Do you know? It's almost like being in a box. Um, I don't remember any windows. There's seats there, obviously, and there's people sat with me. And um, and I just feel very bored. It's very dark and it's very grey. Mm. So I have no idea. It's not really. It's not as if there's any um, films on the back of the seat in front of you. And you know, don't recall anyone bringing any food. The flights don't seem to take very long. Um, you know, we would probably get to Canada in about ten minutes. <laughs> So you're just aware you're going, so you're, you're intentionally going, so you've gone to the airport, you're intentionally going somewhere. It's kind of an enclosed experience. And then you end up there. Yeah. Yeah. It's very intriguing. It's, it's what, very odd. It is. It's very beautiful, though. I love this as a, a new one for me. So I want to, at this point, I guess, ask about flying in dreams for you outside of an airport so do you fly outside of being in a box do you have you had movement where you fly where you're soaring or floating that's a regular thing i take off all the time i show off to people um you know it's like hey watch this and there i am and and i will take off from the ground and i will fly up and fly around trees and then come back and go what do you think of that um you know how do you do it do you do it like superman like galinda i just i just levitate i just take you levitate yeah and and it feels like the most natural thing ever um when i was younger i used to dream that was being picked up um by some entity um and he, he she it used to force me into the ceiling and push me into the ceiling um and so I think that maybe that was the beginning of it. 
So, uh, um, but it's funny that I don't really have any of those nightmares at all anymore. Um, more like moral tests. That's what my dreams seem to be like um, um, now. Um, but yeah, like you can just take off. This, uh, give me a little more detail on this being that would help you fly at the beginning and push you through the ceiling even. Like that's it, significant. It felt like there was a poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was living in um, this um, um, large walk-in wardrobe that we had um, in the downstairs of the house. And I would go downstairs and go into the kitchen um, and uh, our dog had a basket there and I'd go down to see him. And then I would feel like I was being picked up and whirled around. It was like a whirlwind. And I would feel like I was being assaulted and pushed into the ceiling. And Um, did you get pushed through? I don't recall anything like that. No, I just remember um, being particularly scared and, um, and then feeling like I needed to do those kind of techniques that also work for sleep paralysis mm-hmm. get me out of it. So um, I, would, I would resist. Um, Was this a specific period of time or does this still occur? I haven't had that for a long, long time. No, I must have been about 17, 18, up to maybe mid-20s. Okay. I used to get that. That's that's wonderfully fascinating. You're all this richness here. So okay, back to your your dream city. So these this Viking longship. Do you have? So this is kind of a genetic thing. Do you have Scandinavian ancestry at all? Not that I know of. Well, um, well, I suppose obviously, yeah, I'm from the north of England. Um, you know. Almost certainly would, got Viking blood. Would be some in there, yeah. How about yeah. pirate, pirate ancestry? Blar. You got that um, pirate vibe going on. No, but I, I have a baron. I have a baron uh, who looks like me, and that was really messed up when I found the photo. Found a, I wasn't going to say um, a photograph, a painting. Found him on the internet. Um, what period of time did he live? Um, he, he was at the um, during James the first. Because his brother, who I knew was um, was in the family somewhere, it was a guy called George Herbert, who was um, one of the um, alchemical poets. He was uh, well. When their father died, the poet John Donne, famous poet John Donne, who used to write a lot of alchemical poetry. Um, he adopted them as a friend of their father's. So I suppose I'm related to him as such. But um, the eldest son, he became the Baron of Cherbury. Uh, uh, Powys Castle, um, which is just over the border of Wales. Um, and it was so strange because um, when I've looked on Wikipedia and I've, I started tracing these people um, and there was this um, painting of him and he looks exactly like me when I was probably in my late 20s. And I was showing it to people and they were saying, have you photoshopped your face on that and why? I was like, no, that is actually this ancestor really odd have you done any this is kind of a magical question have you done any work with that at all magically i i haven't no i've just kind of like thought well no this is really interesting that even way back then in my family which um despite you know the upbringing with the church of england there is um occultism and mysticism um right the way back 
Yes. So, um, so obviously, you know, here we've got George Herbert, who's my, my mother always used to say, oh, we wrote really miserable hymns. When you actually <laughs> look at his poetry, you know, it, it's full of all the, this kind of um, al- the al- alchemical ideas. Yeah. You went out again, your voice. There, is it back on? Yeah, you're back. It's so weird. I've got I've got to mute it and unmute it again to get the mic on. The Baron's doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, we we did a show in here um, with um, Cobweb Mayers um, a while back, and um, he was doing some automatic drawing on the show, and you could feel the energies building up. It was really really strange, and um, I've got things hanging from the ceiling, and uh, um, while he well, we were getting used to it, there was um, suddenly this uh, cardboard cutout X-wing fighter came off its hook on the ceiling, and the knot had untied itself, and it just literally flew down at him. <laughs> so um, I'm very much aware of the fact that I've got things in, in this studio. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm, I get a lot of juice out of you. It feels, and your environment around you feels very similar to mine. It's very congruent with what I'm sitting in around here. And just, you've got juice, well, John. It did, we were doing a tulpa experiment in, in here. Um, which I decided to, oh no, I was going to not talk about, I, for, I keep forgetting to not talk about it. Oh, right. It tells me that the more you talk about these things, the more people hear, the more, um, the life that they are given. So I've done a real clanger. <laughs> Can we edit all of that bit out? Everyone forget what he just said. There's no tulpa. <laughs> I started getting a lot of weird shit happening. A lot of weird shit happening. Uh, yeah, and those things are supposed to be in secret, so. Yeah, I was thinking like a, a, a manifestation of a black anonymous shape um, just um, outside, um, which was a bit freaky. And then in the house, um, I saw another one that looked like, um, I think it was, it was like a cat the size of a, it must have been like the size of a spring spaniel, jet black in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the tulpa that we were making was a black cat. So that freaked the shit out of me. <laughs> They're quite powerful, as you oh, know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think he's annoyed because I've stopped giving him milk. Um, well, maybe you need to return with some cream or something a little. I recommend a banishment. Um, it doesn't work with a tulpa. Because right. by doing the banishment, you're giving it more energy. More energy. You know, really? you piece feed it. Yeah. You just yeah. Got to ignore it and it'll Or or you can you can turn it into a service if you want. I wish. And, and by <laughs> but by doing it what you're doing is you're appeasing it and you're giving it which also gives it more life. So there's I mean it, I don't know, this is all a different discussion. But, uh, there's just, a lot to, a full a full blown topo, you're gonna have a physical thing. Versus Well he's yeah. getting those yeah. It was get it was it, it was getting stronger. And, yeah, uh, we get a lot of odd things happening around the house anyway. I mean, we've got uh, um, we've got a, a spirit path running through the house, um, and so in this one particular area of the house where a lot of activity is and things go missing and what have you. Um, but, Do you know if you guys are on a ley line or any ley lines? Yeah, I was just gonna ask that. Oh yeah, I mean, um, I'm I'm right next to a church. Oh yeah. So, uh, the... <laughs> say no more. Say no more. Um, right, Jerry. 
<laughs> is the church old? Most churches, especially the old ones, are built um, on vortex points, like cross points on ley lines. It's a Victorian um, oh, yes, church, yes. but the, but the road is called Church Hill, and the line is directly parallel with the road, um, um, and. In all of my research into corpse roads and spirit paths, these are the roads that they used to take funerals um, on. Um, yes. There's a reason why that that wasn't the original road. I mean, you just have no idea. Uh, is there a north door on the church? It's it, This church, I think, is probably Victorian. It's a Roman Catholic uh, um, church. Uh, yeah. What's the well, name still, of it? But still, the north door is important. And in Victorian times, there is still you would still observe that. If it had, oh, there, is. Was... there is, there is, of course there is, yeah. <laughs> See, there's there a, we go. There's a north door and then um, the, oh, hang on, where, which, it must be west. The other door must be the west. The main door? Oh, the, yeah, the main those, door. Don't those yeah. directions represent the archangels too? Like you got, I think north is Michael, no, east is Michael and west is Gabriel. Well, the the north door is very specific within magic on a church, especially in England. It's it's a very specific thing. I've never been in there, so um, I I really um, I really don't know. What's the, what's the name of the church? I'm sorry. Sorry. What what did you say, Jerry? I just want to know what the name of the church was. Maybe you should say that private. Mm -hmm. Put it in chat. It'll yeah. give people. Right where he's living. I, oh, yeah, I, I, just, it. I actually can't remember. I've got a Victorian church overlooking my property, and I don't even know what it's called <laughs> because I never go in. <laughs> Is your house Victorian or older? Oh, it's built on um, the tennis court of um, a house which was huge uh, that used to belong to um, uh, the mm -hmm. local doctor. Um, and it's a really, really big house. And up the road and across the roads is the stables for for, the, for this um, house. Mm -hmm. I don't know how old that is. Um, um, Andy um, Pachorik, who runs the Folk Horror Revival, is the guy that started it off. Um, he used to uh, um, go to school at the school next to the church. He used to go in the house all the time because one of his friends lived there. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. I mean, what do you expect? You live on a you live on a corpse road. Of course, you're going to get activity. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there was one occasion when I was so open. Um, I was under a lot of stress uh, at work, and um, and I was sitting on the sofa, and I was so wired and I was so open. The amount of spirit lights that were floating around the room, um, like plankton, as Jerry said earlier to me. Um, it looked like it was snowing. It was oh, wow. This, and I had to get out of the room and I had to go and lie down in the dark because I just couldn't take it. Mm -hmm. well, this was the only way. I mean, I was incredibly, incredibly stressed. So, you know, I would have been um, totally like out of, of kilter with all of my energies and everything anyway. So it's not recommended. Do not go to that extreme to see spirit lights. <laughs> No. Are you experiencing any kind of have you throughout your life? But and I'm I'm also looking for in, in the idea that maybe it could be amping uh, tinnitus in your ears or static electricity or ringing. I always have ringing in my ears. Um, and um, but as I was saying to you earlier, I have um, 
chronic fatigue syndrome and it's a symptom of that. Um, it seems like chronic fatigue syndrome has the has the symptoms of absolutely bloody everything. It, it, it's a it's a nightmare. It's a control. That you're lazy and you're just tired and it's like god if only you knew um but yeah i get ringing all the time um, it's for me it's been amping up I, I deal with a lot of fatigue because of the hashimoto's where you people don't understand you it is un uh, you can't lift a hand when you're in extreme exhaustion you mm. literally it, it is it's it's a full body experience and it's hard it's almost like paralysis but it's just exhaustion i actually i un, until i managed to finally get a doctor to listen to me and um and um and get me sorted out get me to a clinic get me the right medication i honestly i thought my life was over couldn't do anything i was just yeah. lying on the sofa all day long i couldn't get off it well, it's even exhausting laying. I mean, that's people not, if you don't know what that kind of exhaustion is, it's, it's just hard to find language to convey it. It's, and that's why some people suffer silently with it. I mean, I, I used to, I, I mean, when I was a university lecturer, I mean, uh, my hours could be any time during the day from nine o'clock in the morning, right the way to seven o'clock. Um, and I often didn't get lunch. Um, um, and then I quite often wouldn't get home until about nine o'clock and then doing animation. I would then sit on the sofa with a laptop and I would be doing um, some animation in something like After Effects or something. Uh, mm -hmm. And I would get to maybe about four o'clock in the morning and think, oh, I can do another hour. I don't have to get up until seven o'clock. Um, that was my life. Um, because animators are like that they're very obsessive <laughs> um, um, so um, yeah um, I went from being able to do all of those things oh and I was also swimming two miles a week as well so I was on the go and um, I liked being fit and, uh, um, and what have you um, but then suddenly have the big syndrome terrible what, what triggered it if you don't mind me asking virus yeah. yeah, the virus. But you know, I think it's done me the world of good. I have to say, I think it's been a spiritually um, important step because um, it's humbled me. It's, I, I think it's made me a, um, a nicer person. So, um, yeah, I think definitely um, respect your body more. Yeah, your vessel. Although I do like chocolate. <laughs> Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> oh, chocolate will put me down. Do you did you notice a difference in your dreams before and after in your dream experience? The um, the city dreams have become far more common since. Mm -hmm. far, far more common. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So, and then and then within that again, what about out of body experiences? So, however you want to package that astral projection. OBE, however you want to tag it. It's real. Um, it can happen. Um, it's incredible. And, um, and I wish I could do it again. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not good at it. And I, I have friends who don't want to be able to do this because it scares them and they will, just, um, they will find themselves out of body um, whilst they're relaxing and they're in bed and they're going to sleep. And they fight it and they don't like it. And it's like, no, you've got to seize that. You've got a gift. Um, yes. I've, um, I've studied, I studied enlightenment meditation with a Buddhist monk several years back. Um, and um, I had strange experiences whilst meditating. Um, we 
had to do to kind of like get us attuned and do a lot of meditations with moral elements to them, the conundrums. Um, and that visualization um, quite often, you know, that it really helped. But I sometimes would find myself being able to see the room and see through my eyes and I could see everybody else around me doing the meditation. And I would be thinking, um, this shouldn't be happening. This isn't what we were supposed to be doing. Why has this happened? And that was very odd. Um, and I'm aware that that is said to be like a, a step towards it. Uh, the first time that I did it was through the binaural beats, the rhythms. Um, and it was really underwhelming. Why was it underwhelming? I found myself in the hallway of my house floating over the wallpaper and looking <laughs> at the wallpaper. And still that was underwhelming for you? I mean, you were out of body. I was really like annoyed because <laughs> it was a knock on the door and I shot back in with a whoosh as you do. It feels like you're being sucked by a vacuum cleaner. Yes, yes. Um, and I... And I was pissed off because when I got to the door, it was somebody collecting money for um, or selling, selling double glazing or something. And I was like, I've been trying to do this for years. I've finally done it. <laughs> All I'm doing is floating over wallpaper. And here comes this bloody salesman. Um, you get the was, feeling that that was synchronistic in a way to get you back in your body? Maybe. Maybe. How old were you at that time? Oh, um, could have been about 30, 32, 33, thereabouts. Okay. Oh. So, um, so yeah. Um, I know you're thinking of 28, because I've listened to the show. But, yeah, I did have my own, tw my own 28 stuff going on, but it wasn't that. <laughs> well, the 33 stuff's important, too. Oh, is it? Well, 33, <laughs> the line of latitude. All the Muslims be um, interested. Um, 33 degrees Freemasonry. I don't know if I was 33. That was a number I, I touched. It was around that age. But yeah. The time that I did it was um, only recently in this studio, which has only been built for about two years now. Um, and it, I had done a podcast, um, and um, it was early hours of the morning, and I was um, I couldn't. There was no way I was going to get to sleep because I'd just been doing a podcast, at the, um, and I can't remember who it was that we were doing it with. So I put on some more binaural beats. Um, the sun was coming up, um, which was coming through the skylights in the studio. And I just literally closed my eyes. And the next minute, I am standing in the garden. And um, there's a tree outside the studio, which has been dead for years. Um, and it's just the trunk. But because we've got a tree next to it, it creates a kind of an arch. So I just leave it, right? It looks nice. That tree had um, leaves and fruit on it. Um, and um, all of its branches were there. It was alive. And I walked around this tree absolutely amazed. I took a walk around the garden. And, um, and at some point, I literally just, as relaxed as anything, I just came back. And I was just absolutely stoked. I couldn't believe it. I finally had managed to do this and move around and, um, and experience these things. But I was fascinated by the fact that this tree um, is dead. Um, but there it was. It had, it had fruit hanging from it. It's a plum tree. It, you know, that's 
I find this interesting. I've talked to some people with that have had limbs, you know, lost their limbs. And when they go OBE, they have their limbs, of course. Of course, there's a phantom limb syndrome when they're right. still in their flesh and it's there. And that's a whole neurological thing. But the, 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 the energy is still there. The, the thought of the form is still holds up. And so uh, I find that an interesting parallel with the tree. When you were out walking, what did you have sensei experience? Like, did you, was there a feeling of presence that you get in this waking state? Like a breeze, smells? I was, I was alone and it had this amazing feeling of being more real than, than this. Um, it has um, a lighter feeling to it. It was quite lysergic. Um, the colours were almost, uh, the hue was turned up on everything. Um, so, um, yeah. And one of the things I do remember is the birds still tweeting. Um, and I kind of remember uh, moisture on the grass. So I must have been able to feel things. I don't remember much else other than just being absolutely blown away and overwhelmed last time out. I have done it again. I have proven to myself that it's real. I want more. Um, but um, yeah, it's incredible. I just wish we, we all could live there rather than here. <laughs> well, do you, so with that thought, what do you think is, is going on with it? What, so because anyone that goes OBE, we know that the experience seems, you know, more real than real. Yeah. <laughs> um, the only other thing that I've had like it is, um, as I was saying before, I did the enlightenment meditation course and the very last uh, meditation, which is really, really difficult, hard work to do, was the one where you return to source. So um, you go to the, you go to the light. And um, so it's like Nirvana, um, the Buddhist tradition, etc. Um, that had a similar feel to it, but that was even more real. Um, so I believe that that's, I believe that's the actual state. I and everything else is almost like a, a reality off it. And I can't explain it any other way than that. Um, I don't know how to. You can't put these things into words. You certainly can't put the source into words. Um, there is nothing that can possibly describe how amazing that, that is. Um, the out-of-body experience was similar, but it was more dense. Um, it had it felt like there was more, it was weightier. Um, and then obviously here, it feels much, much weightier that everything is far more um, thick, gravity. Um, dense. Um, yeah, it almost feels sleazy here to me. <laughs> well, actually, yeah, maybe, maybe that, that that is a thing. Maybe there's one that almost feels cleaner. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. And I, I mean, I don't mean sleazy in a bad way. I pull up to it. Obviously, we're all here, but it does. There's something that feels, you know, there's this. It just feels grungier here. Mm -hmm. I think the internet is quite a good metaphor for all of this. Um, you know, the, there's basically other websites that you can go to that you can flip here and you can flip there and then go and have a look at this and then go to another website, then go to another website. 
you know um and that all of these things are connected in some kind of like a um a, a web or a mesh a net um i almost feel i actually think the the internet is quite gnostic <laughs> in, in its uh whole structure um but as you say sleazy the internet is probably the sleaziest level of, uh, <laughs> of our <laughs> reality that there is um, it, 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 well at least pre-censorship oh there's some crazy people out there it's kind of growing into the, the the i don't know the the thing that you know william gibson kind of described in neuromancer it's the sea of depravity mm. with information sprinkled about, you know? Yeah. You, have you seen um, Hellraiser 2, where they actually go into the place where the Cenobites live? Um, and it's a, basically, it's a labyrinth of, um, of S&M and, uh, and depravity and different cells where people are doing horrible things. Yeah, that, that's the internet, yeah. <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. The Cenobites, they come from the internet. Um, um, interestingly enough, they are men in black. I don't know if anyone's ever um, yes. visited that before. But, Isn't uh, that interesting? I've been listening to an interview today about the men in black, so please <laughs> go ahead. Oh, nice sink hey, there, Jer. I, I was I was going through to my sister's um, um, recently with my dad, and we drove through this little um, town in Durham um, called Anfield Plain. And walking up the street was this old guy who was very, very, very thin, very, very, very pale. He had a great big fedora on, um, like as if he he was dressed like he was a gangster in a nineteen thirties uh, black and white film. Um, I mean, his jacket was almost like zoot suit, and he was just dressed all in black. And we both looked at him and went, "Holy shit!" <laughs> and um, my dad was like, "He's a Men in Black," and I was amazed that my dad knew what a Men in Black was. <laughs> um, it was crazy. He even had the shades on, and I was thinking, "Oh, somebody's in trouble." Uh, <laughs> what have they seen? <laughs> but, they, uh, they are real. I had a very weird one, actually. We interviewed Paul Sinclair, the British ufologist. Um, and uh, the day after I did the show, I was going somewhere, came out of the, the gate for the house, and right on the corner, there was a jet black mini um, with a very androgynous person sitting in the driver's seat who had all of those features that everybody describes, very pale, very gaunt, very thin. Um, can't tell if it's male or female. And I and I, I I was just really freaked out because he was talking about all of these different things that um, that have been happening down around the Scarborough area, with lights, and it seems very much like Skinwalker Ranch down down there. It's a lot of very similar activity. Um, and then the next day there was this person. But I, I just thought it was interesting that they were in a jet black mini. It's a bit of a step down. What from do you the think? What, so because you're open for this, like the, the whole observe observational reality thing uh, where we could be manifesting the yeah. thought forms we're feeding do you think that that's possible that be so if you weren't so i i'm split on this because i did i had a i had a sasquatch experience and i wasn't i didn't wasn't really a sasquatch person oh and wow so, 
and so but my, my only point with that is that i wasn't feeding it at all there was no thought about it and then i had my experience so but on the other side of that when we feed something and thought forms when we're deep into stuff how we can manifest these things so you you dive into the waters of men in black and then you start to see them like synchronistically yeah what are your thoughts on on that um well um i had a very strange experience um staying in the red lion pub in the middle of Avery Stone Circle. It was a village in the middle of Avery Stone Circle. Mm -hmm. I had a night of lights going over the bed, um, poltergeist um, activity, stones being thrown at the window, and I was actually trying to get to sleep. Um, and uh, there was the sound of wallpaper being torn off the wall, which I didn't even know was something associated with poltergeist activity. We knew the place was haunted, and we had wanted to go and stay in this haunted room. Um, and um, at the end of it all, when I was basically um, trying to negotiate, you know, um, I thought that was the best way to deal with it. You know, look, we're all adults here. <laughs> Let's all sit down and have a chat. <laughs> um, I need to drive tomorrow. I'm going down to Cornwall. I'll be gone. I'll be out of your space. You know, if you let me have a few hours sleep, don't worry about it. I'm off. I know you're annoyed with me. And um, at that point, I saw um, a hooded figure at the bottom of the bed. And I looked at it and I thought instantly, and I don't know why, I thought, a bit obvious. I'm, 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 in, I'm in the middle of Avery Stone Circle, of course, I'm going to see something. It's going to be a druid or something. And at that point, it changed into a woman um, who looked like um, she was in Jane Austen novel. She had the bonnet on and the kind of the, the shoulder cape on. And that just instantly made me think, wow, I've got these lights that people say that they see, and I've got this anomalous thing where I actually have questioned it. I've actually said, no, I don't want to see that. That's not accurate. And then it's changed itself into something else. Um, and that made me suddenly realize all of these things, that the paranormal is, we don't understand any of it. It's reflecting our thoughts back at ourselves. How is it communicating with our thoughts? Yes. And then projecting something back. So it didn't transform. I transformed it, if that makes sense. My subconscious on some level said, no, that's not right. That's too obvious. That's corny. Give us another one. Um, or it's a projection of your own subconscious. Yeah, I think that's what it's doing. Mm. I honestly do. and. Um, there's a really great book uh, called Light Quest by uh, Andrew Collins. And he's written this about uh, a lot of things that happen around a freestone circle, a lot of these balls of light, um, the UFO experiences, the crop circles, um, all of that culture that's going on. I mean, did you know that a lot of the guys who make the crop circles see these balls of light with them whilst they're making them? Um, yeah, it's common, sorry, very common. You know, that, that, and that doesn't dissuade from the fact that these things are amazing. You know, it's almost as if they're being guided to do it. You know, um, there's a lot of that going around. This is a thin place. And I don't know what these balls of light are, but I've seen a lot of them in a lot of different places. People would have called them will-o'-the-wisps, spirit, fairy, um, 
now people are seeing them and they're saying it's UFOs. Um, they behave in the same way that the UFOs are reported. These things flicker on and off as they're moving and feel almost look like they're static. They move from one point to another point, almost like teleportation. Um, and I honestly believe that's what they are. Um, and if they're capable of linking into your subconscious and feeding back at you, these people who are having um, communication with what they believe are alien entities, why is that any different to me seeing this ghost or Nish um, seeing the, uh, the Bigfoot? I think the, the organization uh, of that whole thing lends itself more to being something more than Fordian phenomena. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the hierarchy. Think about people who talk about the Galactic Federation and the host of aliens that are behind that, plus all the types of different things that abduct them and the things they get told. That's far more than seeing a light in the sky. Yeah. So it, to me, it's always seemed like a different thing than what, you know, the, 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 I call it, the paranormal things here. Well, you know, for me, this is maybe a bit similar to when you see someone like James Randi show you how um, the psychic thing that, that you just witnessed could be done as a magician and why it's fake. It's like just because you can do a similar thing in two different ways doesn't necessarily mean that both of them are, or one of them is invalid, you know. Right, um, well, he's, you know, he's so James Why Randy. can't these balls of light be one thing and another thing? I don't Absol absolutely can be. I wasn't trying to say it wasn't. Oh, no, no, sorry, I wasn't criticizing you, Jerry. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I, just, I would just make it the point that I think that it seems more, if you want to put it this way, more intelligent. The people who get abducted and the, the entities they encounter seem to have more of a structure, a character behind them. Mm -hmm. it's, it's better written script, if you will, than yeah, so say... Not even a ghost. Yeah, exactly. Well, we had a very strange one. I was living down in Derbyshire. Uh, our house was on the side of an old medieval dam. And um, there was one night that we had um, this uh, ball of light, huge ball of light turn up above the, um, the dam. I was looking in the wrong direction, as I always am when these things happen. Um, and uh, so I didn't see it, but I just saw the effect of it. Um, my then partner, she saw it explode um, and it became daylight for almost been about 10 seconds. And all of the, the fishermen who were around the dams and he started screaming, what was that? What was that? What was that? Um, now, weird thing that happened the next night was that I woke up during the night and I went to the window because I thought I had seen another light outside. So I thought I'd go and have a look. Um, and that was all I remembered. Um, the next day I told my partner this had happened. And she said, what are you talking about? She said, you were asleep. She said, I saw the light and I got up and I went and looked out of the window. Um, and we were both really freaked out by this because then obviously we had this thing of, well, I don't remember going back to bed, do you? So it was very, very, very odd. And then I started having these very vivid dreams that um, I was on a mothership. And I, and I know how stupid this sounds, um, but I had them. Um, there were tall, very tall beings, very human there with very large heads, dressed in clothing that you would expect to see on Star Trek. 
the entire mothership looked like it was um, from Star Trek. It felt like there was a community of people there. They were observing us and we were doing things like puzzles. We were all sat together in this very plush environment doing puzzles and these beings were watching us. And um, I kept having these dreams all of the time. <clears throat> and, um, you know, um, and I know that it sounds absolutely like contactee experience or abduction or something. I know it how, does. how old were you when that was happening? Oh, that was about six years ago. About six so years that, ago. Because I, I find this significant. Right. We can wrap it in many different types of packet you know we can package it in a different way for each person's view certainly uh, uh but ultimately these experiences are common and people are talking about them more so six years ago what i just want to dive into this i would like to get this thoroughly sussed out what what was there anything significant going on in your dayside life yeah yeah, she was very manipulative and very controlling um, and um, used to feed me information that wouldn't be true. She used to triangulate a lot. It was a little bit like living with a religious cult leader. Um, and um, she, was, um, she was a medium. Um, she used to, uh, she ended up doing things for um, television over here. Um, plus I'd, I'd gone over to Thailand to stay with her friend Neil over there in, uh, in Chiang Mai, where we had a month of basically um, doing meditation and what have you. And uh, he was a physical medium, so there was an opportunity to kind of um, um, have a circle. Um, and when I remember back, one of the things that I saw over him um, physically was one of these guys with a very very large bald head but they weren't greys or anything like that they looked very human um so yeah i mean i've got drawings of them that, um, that i was doing that was one of the things that i was actually there doing while he was in the physical mediumship i was drawing what was coming over him do you have those drawings posted anywhere um i don't but i shall dig them out I would be, please send me copies of them because I, I also, I draw draw the stuff I encounter in these experiences and I'm, I'm interested to see see them. So is it a lot of first impression stuff that you get that, that drives your art in those cases? Well, I have done it um, um, in a spiritualist setting. I have mm -hmm. done it. So that basically when somebody is kind of like giving a, um, a, a message, um, I've, in the meantime, I've been drawing. Um, and um, I've had people in tears doing that when they've actually looked at it. And it's kind of like, oh, my God, you've even drawn my dad's tie. <laughs> Things like this. And it's like, and I don't know what I'm drawing. What will come into my head is, right, this guy looks like Fred Astaire. So what I'm drawing is what I is my depiction of. Uh, uh, so it it comes as a kind of like um, a flash image, um, or, or an idea, or an idea, mm -hmm. um, or words, and the words morph. This is the reason why you tend to see a lot of mediums kind of like going. It's a, uh, um, um, and then they keep changing the words. Mm -hmm. It'll go. Well, obviously fake. They're doing cold reading, but a lot of the time you get a sounds like. 
Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not defending fake mediums in any way whatsoever. I have seen these people at work um, with paranormal <laughs> investigations. Some of the guys from Most Haunted have, um, have been there when they faked stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's know, a lot of that. If they're on TV, the fake, I think yeah, that's yeah. the answer. Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, if, if you were really, truly interested in hunting ghosts, you wouldn't act like an asshole in a TV show like that. Oh, that guy that gets himself slammed into um, <laughs> lockers and funeral homes and stuff. I mean, what the hell's going on with him? I, I, I don't watch any of that stuff. has so. space left for demons in his body? I don't know. <laughs> He's making a lot of money out of it. I saw him um, trap a demon in a mirror. Um, they chase it down a corridor with noise, I think, and Allegedly. then they trapped it in a mirror, and then they smashed the mirror to get rid of it. And I was just there thinking, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I saw that on Constantine in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Jerry, yes, it was in the movie. Of course it was. Oh, is that where he's got it from? <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, man. That's, oh, I don't watch that whatever show you guys are talking about. Oh, I don't I know what it's called. Constantine. It, 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 it's terrible. It's so fake. Um, but no, you mentioned John, John Constantine. He was my hero. I wanted to be John Constantine. Did you see the, the, um, the one season series they put out in 2012? I saw the first episode and then I couldn't find any of them um, because I don't know if they've been put on British television. So I, I was watching them on that sleazy um, internet. <laughs> <laughs> Remind me after the show and I can show you a place where they're at. But um, uh, yeah, the show got canceled. It, it's really good. It's interesting. It was, it's surprisingly good. Yeah. And, it wasn't Keanu Reeves. He no, looked no, no. like uh, Matt Ryan is the guy's name, and they've revived the character. So DC has split into I don't know. They've got a bunch of different shows, right? Like The Flash and Arrow and Supergirl. They have this other show called DC Legends of Tomorrow. And the premise of the show is that they're a time-traveling superhero group that repair aberrations in the timeline. Yeah, that, that, that's what I do. That's yeah. my job. Well, that's their job, too. <laughs> Maybe you can get on their ship. But what do they want? What do they want? A medal? <laughs> point, the point being that this new season that's coming out, I believe it's season six or eight, I don't remember. It's, it's up there, right? John Constantine is now a crew member. Yeah. Well, he started in Swamp Thing, didn't he? Yes. Um, I've never read those issues. Um, I'm still in the Bernie Wrightson issues of um, Swamp Thing. I haven't got as far as Alan Moore here. I did buy a few back in the 80s. Um, I, I just uh, really thought it was interesting that they, <clears throat> in the, the last couple of seasons of the show, they've started battling magical creatures and their technology doesn't help. So that's why they recruited Constantine to help. And so now it's a lot of, well, the last couple episodes have been very demon-related. They have a lot of demons in that show. It's real interesting. It really is. But the Hellblazer comics, particularly the, the first ones, because the artist was um, from the northeast of England, where I'm based, a lot of the things that were in those um, were based around uh, where I'm living. So um, at the time, um, I was living very close to a, a seaside town um, called Saltburn-by-the-Sea. Um, and um, Constantine ended up there quite quite regularly. There was an issue where very much like the Wicker Man that was based down mm. that way. Um, I think I had a pen pal there when the I was a kid. Original Wicker Man. In Salt Madison. It's a beautiful place. 
I've got so many friends that live there. It's great. So um, this is another synchro. I'm getting like super chills today. It's crazy. <laughs> Jay Dyer put out a video today about how Wicker Man, the movie, is the greatest movie ever made. Which one though? The original the, or the, the Nick Cage one? I I've not seen oh, the remake. I've not seen. I'm it. only about. I don't like that remake. The original with Christopher in it. The '73. That's the Wicker Man. Yeah. Do you know? It, it, somebody said to me years ago that. Um, it was their favorite musical. And I was like, what are you talking about? The music's amazing in it. But it made me suddenly realize, holy shit, it is. It's not it, a horror yes. film, it's a musical. <laughs> yes. Um, with the most amazing music. Really, truly. All of it, all that's of a, it. That's, that's a I, masterwork. That's how I got into the incredible string band because I was desperate to find <laughs> music that sounded like the Wicker Man. And um, yeah, adore them. Oh but, yeah, that's a mess. That's on my top ten all-time favorite films. But list. my friend Darren's got a piece of it. Uh, until fairly recently, you could still go up onto that uh, hillside, and there were parts of the Wicker Man still in the ground. You could dig them up. Somebody dug uh, dug a piece up and gave it to him. Wow, from the seventies. That's a, that's amazing. That's He's great. one of the, one of the main guys over at the Folk Horror Revival, Darren Charles. Um, so yeah, lucky man. So on to, I want to talk about sleep paralysis with you. Yeah, horrible, isn't it? Well, it's interesting, at least. What, what's your experience with it? Um, the first time that it happened to me, I swear I thought I was being raped by a demon. It was absolutely horrendous. Um, it was this guy lying on top of me pushing me from the shoulders down into the bed i could not get away and he had a luminous green rectangle um around his eyes it was mm. like face paint or something and i just remember these glowing eyes and he was looking at me and he was saying you that's all he said and um i managed to i realized i could defeat it because I was just saying no to him, and it released, and um, and then I went through a, a, um, a big Christian phase um, after that. I became a bit of a happy, clappy, born again Christian, um, which didn't last. Um, and when I would get sleep paralysis, I would find that basically um, binding it um, worked. So um, I bind you in the blood of the martyrs. I bind you in the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, and then you basically um, move it on, pass it on to the spirit, and that would work. Um, Does that work I, every time? Yeah. And then I read a Robert Anton Wilson interview in the Fortean Times. This must have been about 1994. Um, and he was talking about, he talked about sleep paralysis. I'd never heard of it. And I suddenly was like, oh, my God, that's what happened to me. So now that I was aware what it was, um, as Heath said, it was uh, you pulling anything out of your monster library um, in your subconscious. That is your projection. That's what it's going to be. Um, and he was talking about the fixation with the eyes, which suddenly made sense. This guy's got glowing green eyes, a rectangle, yeah. you know. Um, but I would get them where it was just somebody standing by the door to the room and just not moving. Um, and, I, and that would scare the crap off me. That was almost worse than, than the person on top of me trying to uh, basically push me into the bed. I heard it someone. Was 
I'm sorry that I had the the poltergeist dreams where I was being pushed into the ceiling. <laughs> sorry, Jerry. No, it's okay. Someone once told me that that when that happened, they realized that the figure by the door was their astral or etheric body waiting for them to let go. Like, to, come on, let's go. You know, you're still trapped in your body, but half out. Well, here you go. You like this then? Because if that if that was a projection of yourself there. I had one, I was um, writing um, a piece, um, fiction, um, and there was a character that had literally, she was uh, the body that had been dragged out of the canal, she was drowned, and so it was like an investigation into how she died. I can't say this was a great work of art. Uh, (laughs) I don't think I even finished it. (laughs) Um, But I had sleep paralysis, and guess who was there? And she even had pondweed hanging off her. Oh my! And she like looked Granny, Jenny Green Teeth. <laughs> yeah, she she looked pissed off. She was really not happy with me. And I realised the reason why she's not happy with me is because I've killed her. Um, and I suddenly felt very responsible. <laughs> and, um, and of course, it passed off, and I I had got rid of it. And you realise that, it, that it's a dream and all of that. Um, I, I told a friend of mine, and he said, "Oh, he said you've got a better story there." I was like, "Yeah, you're damn right." So that's been something a novel I've been working on for a long time. Um, authors, I've discovered, do see their characters quite a lot. Yes, sure. I mean, you've heard about Grant Morrison's whole thing with the yeah. Invisibles, right? Of course. Well, he projected the Invisibles. That was um, mm-hmm. a work of sigil magic, right? Um, but to get he him laid, himself laid, apparently. But, well, originally, I don't think he intended it to be that. I think it was more of a discovery. He Back to initiation, he initiated himself doing that, that ritual or that's the hyper sigil or that comic book, however you want to look at it, right? Made all these things manifest in his reality. I, I adored that. Allegedly. Comic. Yeah, but it's a, it's, a, it's a good, it's a special piece of work, it is. is that comic. Um, I mean, yes, it is pretty much the Illuminatus trilogy, but, you know, I don't see why the two can't sit next to each other, you know. Um, sure, different takes on. Yeah, but um, yeah. Apparently, you were talking about John Constantine. Alan Moore has seen John Constantine twice. I don't know if you knew that. Once was in a sandwich bar. He was getting. He was sitting down in a cafe eating a sandwich, and um, Constantine walked in, turned and smiled at him, and then um, walked into another part of the cafe. And he said he um, he was too freaked out to go after him. And he said he wishes that he had, but he, um, he was a bit too freaked out. But he said it made him realize that um, Constantine was Sting because um, the guy looked at the spitting image of Sting. Mm. And that's what he realized, oh, well, that's what I've been writing about. He also had a backpack with him, which he then said, why didn't I ever give him a backpack? That's obvious he would have a backpack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, next time, the next time he saw him was after a magical ritual. He'd gone on, um, into the kitchen to make everybody present a cup of tea, which I love, because um, that's not the kind of thing you see on a Hammer film. Um, it's after they've done a ritual, they'll just go and have a brew. Um, so, have, yeah. Have you met more at all? I would Never? love to. Yeah, me too. I know, peop- I know people who, who know him. Uh, my sister's met him a long, long time ago, probably before The Killing Joke came out. The, um, back in the 80s. Well, if um, you ever get them on your podcast. I would love to. 
hey, I mean, I don't, I think getting hold of him would be very difficult. I don't, getting yeah. him to agree to it would be difficult. I don't think he, like, has an internet account, right? But there is, I, I came across one interview he'd done on a podcast. That's where I got this information from about him witnessing Constantine. He, do, he does a lot of podcast interviews. Yeah. Oh. I've seen him perform. Mm. Um, a few years back, he did um, a performance with Stephen O'Malley um, from the band Sun, um, the noise band. Um, and I saw him do that in a... It was, it was basically it was like a working. It was uh, between two paintings that were very similar, one by John Martin um, and, oh, I can't remember who the other one was by. It was all basically about landscape of England with these paintings. It was in an art gallery. Then the next night they did it again, and um, they were joined by F.M. Einheit from um, the German um, experimental noise band that I can never remember the name of, New Barts and something. Saying the art of noise, oh, but American. no, it neighbor. Aina oh, neighbor. Yes, you've now you've Nicole made Heidler. me lose it. Heitenberg. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah. Uh, new, it's new, new Barton. <laughs> oh, they're amazing. They're yeah, just... they well, he, he was playing as um, a uh, a Einsterzend New Barton. That's the yes, yes. Thank you, Joe. Jerry, always to the rescue. He was playing this spring with a um, with a circular saw <laughs> and getting a note out of it, and then he piled sea coal on top of a metal um, strip, which was on breeze blocks, and he was beating it with a hammer. Um, I got hit in the eye because I was on the front row. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> um, and then over the backdrop, over the top of this, while Moore is reading and Stephen O'Malley's on this guitar, <laughs> The backdrop was done by some um, famous um, video person, who I don't know, um, but she was showing bits from um, Polanski's cul-de-sac, because that was filmed up here, and also Macbeth, and bits yes. from the Kane film Get Carter. So uh, all very ominous and strange. It was absolutely fantastic. It sounds wonderful. Yeah. It's one of those things that when you end, when it ends, you think, I didn't understand any of that, but I feel like my life has changed. Yes. <laughs> and I don't know what. <laughs> I love that kind of junk thing too, though, like um, Bear Engle, the Bear Engle experience in, in Scandinavia. You know, he's always experimenting with crazy. Uh, his other, his band before he went on, his was like Hero Torpedo. They're just making music with crazy stuff. I want to uh, I want to get to to ghosts or disembodied spirits in your dream world and possibly those you've known in life. Uh, I had a she was a woman who was always in a white dress and she had very curly hair, very pointed nose. Um if you can imagine Margaret Thatcher I mean, she was a nightmare in her own right, but um, she was always haunting this room in this house. And I was always going up the stairs and going down this corridor to this room. And sometimes I was having to stay in this house and I was having to sleep in the room. And she would always be there and she would always attack me. She was terrifying. Um, and because I kept having that dream, I felt like there was a fear that I had to get over. Mm -hmm. 
so that is when I started to um, do um, ghost hunting. And I oh, joined. really? That's what started that? Yeah. Because, and it stopped it because now it was like I faced that fear of the nasty ghost. Yes. I've been to these horrible, nasty, haunted places. Um, I have stayed the night. I've done um, the job of the sensitive um, and it put it to rest. And when it put it to rest, um, it suddenly made me realize, and I don't know why I didn't recognize it before, that this was my grandparents' house. And the room that I was staying in was um, the room I always used to sleep in, which would be my dad's bedroom when he was a kid. Not only that, I realized that the ghost was actually a teacher that I had at primary school who uh, basically was, she shouldn't have been teaching. She was, um, she was just, um, she just hated kids. I think I mean, that I remember, can be sort of all nuns too. Yeah. I, rem I remember her picking her kid up and smashing her head on the wall. Uh, oh my, yeah. You know. Uh, angry. Yeah. And then a, a friend of mine ran home out of school because he was so terrified of her. He got hit by a car on the way home, um, broke his arm. Um, so, yeah. And it, I, I just realized that basically, for some reason, I must have not wanted to stay in my grandparents' um, house for some reason at some point, And that had stayed with me and it combined with this woman. And so it became this haunted house. Um, when the dreams were fading and I was starting to defeat her, um, the house was now almost like it was made out of perspex and I could see through all of the rooms and I could see her trying to get away from me and I was following her. <laughs> um, and, um, but yeah, I mean, even when I was a little kid, there was a witch that used to fly down the stairs um, in my dreams and chase me. Mm -hmm. And we must have had this, you know, the Wicked Witch of the like? West scare the life out of me we're so, so of the west so is she green yeah but th that's clearly where it's come from it's come from watching the wizard of oz yeah 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 you're you're front loaded i like the story with the the ghostly figure though that was the teacher in the yeah. end how you un were able to unravel the symbology as it was playing out at some point well i think that a lot of that came from doing the enlightenment meditation because that's what you do um with every stage um up to the point where you, you you're working with um chakra points yes. um, and then and channeling energy and moving energy around your body because th this is the process of then understanding how to do the source um uh, meditation because you use that energy to push yourself out of the top of the head um which takes ages it's hard, very, very hard. Um, I've only achieved it twice. I've, I've never been able to do it again. And, um, but yeah, that was, um, that was one of the things that each week we would, we would have to do things like, we would have to bring something which was really horrible with us, like something um, really moldy, something that has been at the, underneath the cupboard of the kitchen sink for years that you've completely forgotten about <laughs> and uh, he wanted us to bring this horrible thing whatever it was with us and then we had to meditate holding it and feel the texture of it and go right well what is it about it that's so repulsive and so it was constant questioning constantly questioning things and finding your own pathway through your subconscious um you know it was intense but it was absolutely amazing um 
I've heard these similar stories with great healings with people who have had, uh, I'm really interested in the dying experience, especially how it plays out with dreams, but also in people's personal lives and with people that have been very sick. And of course I go right in, right in for these subjects and almost always they want to engage the stories to people around you that are like, oh, why, how can you do that? Anyway, so I have heard with great healings, there have been in some people's dreams, these monstrous or terrifying figures that were just, you know, full on nightmarish experiences. And as they move through a healing process, the monsters or demons or whatever you want to call them would actually transform as they were getting healed, as they were healing, really they're healing themselves. And ultimately in the end, these monstrous things were actually not monstrous and they were either like helping, it could be projections of self, however you want to view it, but they ended up being friendly towards them. Uh, some people saw them as ultimately as being angels. Some people saw them as spirit guides. But they initially were nasty, terrible, and terrifying. And once they got healed, that's that was the whole point was to move through why. Why are you why are you going through this process? And what is at the core of it? And these people survived very some some of them terrible cancers. Uh, the mind is very it's just such a powerful and amazing thing I, I can't even start to understand it i'm not a psychologist well i don't think even people that study this stuff or you know all the great masters that say this stuff i am still a believer these are mysteries and and there is no matter how much science people want to hang around it there these are untouchable mysteries that the common person has access to and so it's really important to not get stuck on the masters in this in i think anywhere but in this field in particular we're talking about dreams and death and dying and alternate realities it, it very often feels to me that basically when there is something that is clearly in your dream which is niggling you and it is negative you know, it's like this is your chance to deal with something. Instead of treating this as being something to be scared of and run away from, you know, um, it's like the dream that I had the other night that I was telling Jerry about where um, I killed someone. Um, yes, will you someone. share that with us now? Yeah. I was really pissed off with Andy, um, who runs the Focal Revival, because um, in my dream, um, we were walking somewhere and he suddenly decided to go and live in this dingy, horrible flat. And he left me to walk home in the rain, which is a ridiculous premise because I'm a middle-aged man. <laughs> Why would I care in reality? <laughs> but in the dream, it was like, I can't believe this. So I was walking home um, and an old school friend suddenly appeared and was with me. And um, there was this guy walking towards us. So I just decided to kill him. And I murdered him, murdered him in the street. And then the, this was like a film um there were like sequences um like suddenly i'm not in the street um i'm at home and on the news they're talking about the fact that this murder's happened so now i'm thinking oh no i hope they haven't got any cctv footage um how do i get away with this and then i started thinking oh my my friend was there oh i've got a loose link there what am i going to do 
um, he could um, grasp me up. Um, um, so I'm thinking basically suddenly, wait, I can kill him. And then I start thinking, no, this is going to get out of control. I can't start killing people. Otherwise, I'll, I'll just keep having to kill people. So the next thing in the newspapers and on the TV, um, this um, lad that I've murdered, his mother um, is on there um, crying and wanting people to find the murderer. Um, and I even thought, I'll go murder her. Um, and then on another news report, it comes back. She has now been arrested for killing him. Um, and, um, and so I'm now left with the dilemma of thinking, well, I've got away with this. And then I've got the guilt of thinking an innocent person is going to jail. Um, and it's my responsibility. I've got to give myself up. Um, and then I just keep thinking, well, no, because I've got away with it. So why would I, um, let her go to jail? Cause I don't know her. And then I'm thinking, no, that is the most selfish thing I've ever thought. So I'm keep going through a lot of these emotions and, um, odd feelings, a lot of which aren't natural because I'm not a violent person. I have never killed anybody. I don't intend to either. Um, so it then transpires that um, basically um, that I need to basically do, do something um, about it. Um, I start seeing myself now in prison. Um, I'm in a maximum security American prison. <laughs> Everyone's wearing orange jumpsuits, and I'm now having to fight just because I've just entered the prison, and um, and straight away somebody's decided to basically fight me, and um, I'm having to stand up for myself, otherwise I'll become the victim, and I don't want to do that. Um, and then I'm back at home. I've been there. I've experienced the prison. I'm back out of that, um, and then I go and give myself up. Um, and I wake up and I was like, oh my God, I've got to write this down. And I was thinking, oh, Nox Mentor, I could talk about that. And so I just went on Facebook and messaged Jerry half asleep and wrote this whole dream down. <laughs> <laughs> and I just thought afterwards, what the hell is he going to think of me? So I went and read it tonight. And I don't even know if I've got it all down there, but I have to remind myself because it's gone. I've gotten it all. But, um, but yeah, it was like, it was like being. It, it was like an initiatory step. It's like, how are you going to deal with this situation? It's like the kind of thing that people who've been abducted by aliens say that they experience, mm. that they're put into this test, you know? And um, yeah, and I think that it's really interesting. So rather than kind of like fight the thing that's in your dream, experience it. Because these are like your testing ground for your, for your morality, for your ethics. I think it's quite, it's quite an important thing. Don't be scared of them, you know. Discover what it's like to punch it, um, to fight it. Then discover what it's like to walk away from it and surrender and all of those things. And if you can experience it from different angles, this is what we were taught in the Enlightenment meditation, experience these things from all angles, um, all morality, and even all forms of life. You know, um, imagine yourself being an animal. Why would you be doing that in this instance if you were a fox or something? Um, you just try and experience it as much as you can. And, um, and then you actually come out of it thinking, I've really learned something from this, something really important. What I learned from that dream was quite obvious. You don't kill people. 
you know, the, the, it's not just the killing the person, it's the it's the thing that happens afterwards, <laughs> having to deal with the paranoia and the fallout and then going to prison and all of that. I mean, I just felt like I'd been through the whole thing. Yeah, I don't need to do it now. I don't need to experience it in real life. That's good. I I, I love that example. And it's... It is, it is about, I mean, there's so many ways these things can un, unravel. And, and certainly the psychological approach is, is, is one way. And how, it, how they can, how these reverberations just play out through our lives and how we find a sense of transcendence through the whole process as mm. well. And yet I'm also on board with a hundred percent of the otherworldliness, the other dimension, the other reality aspect of it. it. It this is why these mysteries are so appealing and juicy to explore. And the more we talk about these things, in in the more we normalize it, the the deeper this experience gets, especially in waking life. In my opinion. Because we're we're making it conscious, we're taking dark content and bringing it forth, and so it's going to be this. It's going to be uh, an a, a, an alchemical experience is underway. Then a spiritual experience is happening at that point. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right, and I, I, it's almost it feels to me like we're put into an environment to then experience something. So. Um, I'm not sure why I get my city because sometimes that's fantastic. I just I'm a tourist. I'm just walking around. There's not really anything to learn. You know, it's almost like I'm on holiday um, in this place that clearly just represents me um, as a whole. Um, so um, yeah, I think it is interesting that we we are kind of like put in in environments. It's like the holodeck in Star Trek. Yes. <laughs> oh know? man, isn't that the classic example? Yeah. So I mean, why, another why, why synchro you... there. I was just explaining about a holodeck <laughs> theory the other day, like yesterday or the night before. Yeah. <laughs> this happens all of the time. But <laughs> whenever I do these podcasts, I was on Conspiranormal, and for no apparent reason, I I, I told them that I was the uh, Count de Saint Germain for some reason, and they freaked because they had just been to <laughs> the show, <laughs> and it was like I don't even know why I said it. Um, you know, I tell you one of the things before the show. Um, uh, for some reason, I kept getting Thin Lizzy songs in my head. I don't suppose either of you have been listening to Thin Lizzy because I never do. Tonight, there's gonna be a jailbreak. <laughs> I have been listening to seventies music this week. Have I'm, you heard Dancing I'm, in the Moonlight by Thin Lizzy? Yes. Turns up. <laughs> Because I don't know why it was in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I have one last question, and uh, before we maybe move on, is your ideas on death and what is what is that state of consciousness? How does that play into this? Are we dead now and we're just reliving things? Is there, you know, just in general, what is going on with the idea of death and what do you think it all is? When I had that experience, when I did the source med um, um, meditation, um, I 
found myself surrounded by white light. There was nothing there but white light, and I was white light. And there was a vibration, like a noise. And I suddenly felt alert, like I had woken up or emerged from it. And I went, oh, where am I? And then I suddenly thought, oh, I'm back here again. And as soon as I thought that, I literally had that whole thing of being sucked back into um, into the real world again with a wham, just like you get with astral projection or out-of-body experience, whatever you want to call it. Um, I felt like that was real. I felt like that is where I had come from originally. I felt as though I belonged there. I felt as though I was part of it all. Um, now we. You can call that God, you can call it Nirvana, you can call it whatever you want, the source. That just felt like that was reality. That was the real thing. Um, and, you know, as the Buddhists say, um, the world that we usually see isn't real. It's imaginary, it's fake. And that is exactly how it felt. And I just, literally, I just feel as though that whole explanation that you get from Gnosticism and from Buddhism, that we're almost like a shard of this source um, and we're in this plane to experience things um, and to learn and take that information back. And I have often thought, maybe is this what we do when we actually dream? Because we don't know what, what we're actually doing for most of the time that we are asleep. It, it didn't make any sense to me as to why I thought... Oh, I'm back here again. I knew this place. I recognized this place. Even though I didn't even, I, I knew that I wasn't even human there. There was no physical body. And um, now whether or not that source can send shards to reality as we see it without a physical body, I don't know. I mean, in, in some traditions, um, it's described that basically beings came down in the form of these balls of light and entered animals and what have you. And that's basically how civilization began. Um, you know, sounds absolutely crazy, but that it, it rings a bell with that whole meditation experience. And it all happened on a flat earth. Well, it doesn't matter what shape it is. It's not real. <laughs> I, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I was teasing. Could be a triangular Earth. We would never know. We might get far enough out and discover that we're actually a small speck printed on the wrapper of a Toblerone. <laughs> and we're actually I always a, love that. Yes, a prism. It's not flat. It's a prism. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. Don't ask me. Don't follow me. Um, I, I'm not the Messiah. I'm a very naughty boy. That well, I Those I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. It's like well, us. Yes, that's where we are. And that's the whole, that's like one of the things, one of our laurels here is that we're all equal in this experience. Yeah. And I appreciate people that make it a life study and go and jump through all the hoops and, and, and there are great names. I'm not going to throw them out. I appreciate the science being done and the theories, but at the, in the end, we should not allow that to co-op and take it away from us, the, oh, the wow. common folk. We have access to this. 
and we have the right to ponder and theorize yeah. on our own through our own personal experience and it, it, it this is what saddens me in culture in general is how we give away our power to those with with titles and those that come forward saying i've studied this therefore i am the answer yeah we it, it, this is you know this is something we all have access to i i obviously worked in academia um i a lot of academics have got huge egos and you just wonder why um because you can learn from all kinds of people um important lessons from all kinds of people um, I mean, on my travels, I've learned things from people who've gotten absolutely no qualifications that we would recognise at all. I mean, um, um, I mean, I've been all around the world. Um, I've been to a couple of Arabic countries and what have you, and uh, seen things happening on the streets of Cairo that will never, um, never leave me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I probably learned more from being lost in Cairo. <laughs> Did any of those bad experiences uh, uh, involve a fez? Um, no, I bought my fez in Camden Market. Okay. Um, no, I don't remember really seeing anybody wearing a fez in Egypt. Um, I, 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 I had this incredible experience um, on the Giza Plateau. Um, I had to bribe two um, two policemen um, to leave me alone, and um, um, I was taken by this uh, these two lads through this Islamic graveyard um, and um, out the other side onto the Giza Plateau, and, and I was absolutely desperate to go to the loo. Um, so I said to them, "You know where?" And they were like, um, "It's a desert anywhere you want," <laughs> you know. <laughs> So being British, being from Western, I decided to use the wall to urinate against. And the next thing that I know, here is this policeman and he's got a machine gun and he's pointing it at me. And I'm still in the middle of the whiz. Um, so we just held out his hand and asked for money. I gave him money. Oh, my God. Now, seriously, I had no real understanding of Islam or anything like that. And I feel absolutely dreadful that I did that. And I know for a fact that if I asked you that I had weed on a <laughs> on the wall of an Islamic cemetery, my life would not be worth living. <laughs> oh, jeez. But then after that, I ended up in an archaeological uh, dig where there weren't any archaeologists around. Uh, they hadn't finished. I wasn't supposed to be in there. Um, they bribed um, another uh, guy so that we could go in. Um, um, I was in these rooms and they were great big shafts leading right the way underground. You could see tunnels down there. Um, so that's all true. I have seen it with my own eyes. Um, and then I went and had a look at the pyramids. I didn't go in. Um, I'd love to go back and go in. Um, but the place where I was taken, as they said to me, is the only place on the plateau where there are hieroglyphics. And it's true. There aren't any in the pyramids. Um, the Sphinx is a lot smaller than I thought. Anyway, I heard someone talking about that too. It's interesting that there aren't any hieroglyphics in the pyramids. It, it almost screams that the Egyptians were transient, that they didn't build them, or they I, came upon them like the Sphinx was before their time. But they have the legend of that. I mean, the thing is, this is one of the things that blows me away. If you want to know what some of these things are, 
ask the locals. Right. Yes. It's, absolutely. A, it's not a that's not a that's not a, a weird thing to do, <laughs> you know. But um for centuries we've had these British twerps <laughs> walking around <laughs> and saying, Oh, jolly ho, what's this? Oh, we'll have that and helping right. themselves and bringing it back and then people trying to work out what it says. Hang on a minute, why didn't you ask the bloke who was sat by it? <laughs> yes. Worse than yeah. that is that the, the archaeological uh, positions today are all based on a report by one dude, you know, from 18, the 1800s. Never verified. It was just something that got recorded and then became fact that was built upon. So a lot of the ancient Egyptian history that we were taught, it was all basically conjecture. I, I mean, God knows how on earth they were built. I, I mean, honestly, I mean, the, the ramp to get those bricks to the top, I don't know. I mean, you, you could move things um, easily with a fulcrum, and I've seen that done. I've seen a guy doing that, showing how um, that um, coral... What is it called? Coral, coral Castle. Castle. Yeah. 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 And he was moving those blocks single-handed, yep. just fulcrum. It is possible. Um, you don't need any strange technology to move these things. You can do it with a little cone. Um, it it, it could like very a, easily be some kind of natural science effect that we don't know about or oh is, God. you know, hidden. But I mean, how do you get to the top and put the top one on? I mean, these things are huge. In a Vimana, how else would you get there? What did you say? A ladder? In a Vimana. <laughs> oh, I thought you said a ladder. <laughs> you hold it up. <laughs> a hell of a bloody ladder. I tried climbing up the second one. I didn't get very far. Um, but what was weird was on the way back, uh, I mean, this was like something out of a Monty Python sketch. There was a speck on the horizon <laughs> that kept getting nearer and nearer to me. And eventually it was this bloke on a donkey. Um, I was on the back of a camel um, with one of the lads and there was um, another, one of the other lads was with a donkey. Um, I mean, this, this whole place was, it was like tattooing. I mean, it was just marvelous to be there. But here comes this guy on a donkey and he eventually comes up and the lads are trying to get rid of him. And I'm like, no, 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 leave him. What does he want? And he got off his donkey and he lifted up the side of the saddle he had a drinks cooler, and he opened it up, and he gave me a can of Seven Up. Oh, he sounds awesome! <laughs> <laughs> no, nice. I was always led to believe there were people wandering around the Sahara Desert going water. water. <laughs> <laughs> <Guys> on donkeys <laughs> with, with sodas. It's hilarious. I mean, seriously, you can learn more from going to experience some of these strange places and these strange people than. Um, than you're ever going to learn um, from academia. Well, the pyramids are right there in the middle. I mean, there's a city is all right there. There's a strip mall, for God's sake. Yeah. There's a, there's a, um, a, a four-lane motorway, uh, four lanes on each side, running straight through the middle of Cairo, and there's no way of getting from one side to the other side unless you get a taxi or a car. So I found myself stranded um, because I had no money for... Um, um, the taxi and it had just gone because Egyptians are clever and um, yes. they'll have every penny off you that they can and you won't even know <laughs> they're the cleverest people on earth you know um, I, I completely believe that they built the pyramids because they are the cleverest people on earth <laughs> and um, I mean 
I had money taken left, right and centre. It actually got to the point where I was actually quite enjoying watching the scams that they were trying to pull on me and how they would then riddle it to get more. So I, I, I actually, I mean, I wasn't in despair being scammed. I found it quite interesting because it's just basically uh, slight the pand and magic tricks. Yes, um, yes. The origins of it. Mm. Uh, yeah, I had to sell a ring to kind of like get money to get a taxi to get back. And um, I was absolutely terrified. And I had this amazing thing happen. I had these children who were um, just absolutely filthy and, um, and they were naked. Um, this little girl had she had dreadlocks in her hair, not because of fashion or Rastafarianism. It was just how her hair had ended up from neglect. Um, I could see these guys kind of like circling me. I knew I was going to get robbed. Um, a guy with a broom came up and swept the kids away for me, and then asked me for money. And I was <laughs> telling him to stop hitting the kids. And I suddenly thought I am as far away from home ever as I'd gone up to Cairo from Luxor, got the train up. I thought, nobody knows I'm here. And I was suddenly aware that everything I was wearing had a designer label on it of some sort. <laughs> and um, even my cap, you know, had the little Nike symbol on it. And, and I'm just aware that basically I am saying I am wealthy and yet I haven't got yeah. a bean. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I actually started to panic. And then I got this voice in came into my head. It just said, um, you're not alone. And I suddenly felt the most amazing elation and happiness and joy come over me. And I started laughing. And then I got started really bawling out laughing. And I tell you what, all of these people that were kind of like circling me, they all looked <laughs> like, what are these guys nuts? And they ran away. Of course, that's a big deal. Um, Do you so think I, that... I, your trepidation was attracting them? Oh, it could easily. I mean, God knows what my face looked like. Mm -hmm. um, you know. I mean, the energy of it, not necessarily how you physically look. I just think, well, it, I don't know. I mean, it, I was being circled like, like jackals. I could see them well, doing it. You are walking advertisement of the West. Yeah. You're a tourist. Yeah, like everything. I'm a believer yeah. of when in Rome. You know, you'll find me in Egypt and I will have my head covered. and then yeah the whole tire i already wear coal eyes so i'm ahead of the game um don't wear designer labels i mean it, it, and i learned something from that it's like why am i wearing designer labels anyway you know oh come on there's so much stuff that westerners just take for granted yeah. that they don't understand that they're projecting out in in every way that's right to people who all of that nlp stuff the yes. Egyptians have been doing for years. Mm -hmm. Mentalist stuff, the Egyptians have been doing for years. Yeah. Oh, they perfected um, it centuries yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> Some over there said to me, Who do you think the pyramids um, um, were made by? He said, Because I think they were made by aliens. I was like, No, they're built by the Egyptians. And he said, Well, there's no evidence of that. I said, They're the cleverest people on earth. And he said, Well, why do you think they were built then? Because I think we were this, built for this reason. I said they were built to get people here so they can con them of every single penny they've got. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, all they've got is a bloody desert. You shove something amazing in that desert, people will come. <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's I like, what I like your theory there. <laughs> I still think that there could be 
other possible realities for the pyramids, but I agree with the Egyptians being very clever and we get so much, and also the Indians in India. Oh, I've never been, I would love to. And so you get that same vibe and, and the, the whole gypsy origins come out of Egypt and India oh, and, yeah. you know, end up being, you know, the Roma people have kind of co-opted it, but it's really the birthplaces and these old, these other places and they understand this, these arts. Yeah. Absolutely understand these arts. Oh, I'm completely with, uh, with Graham Hancock that uh, there's been in, this is a, this is an, a, a rebirth of a previous civilization. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm fairly, I think it's fairly obvious. Uh, and, you know, it is slowly starting to kind of like being taken more seriously, particularly with somewhere like Gebekli Tepe being um, discovered. Um, but, uh, no, I mean, I don't know. I would love to be able to do the whole out-of-body experience thing and do the time travel thing. And I would go back. That's one of the things I would go back to as I go back and have a look at who was building the pyramids and how they were doing it. Um, I'd go back to see if dinosaurs had feathers. Um, and um, Or if they were real at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're going to watch Satan burying fossils to trick mankind. Um, yeah. <laughs> there are very few full, you know, dinosaur fossils found. It's just all pieces. Pieces that they put together and then extrapolated from there. I mean, mm -hmm. we are told basically what these things look like from the outside. We have no idea. Don't exactly. even know what color they were. We don't okay. know what sounds they made or anything. Nothing. They might yeah, have talked in I... English for all we know, you know? Yeah. It is exhausting talking to people that have bought the narratives hook, line, and sinker, though. I have I have gone around so many times with just the dinosaurs. I, I find it fascinating, but to be honest with you, a little bit like the Egyptians, um, I've gone up being one of these people so fed up of every other bloody documentary on, on TV is either about dinosaurs or the Egyptians or World War II. Um, I mean, I'm serious. My dad has watched more television programs about World War II. He spent more time watching World War II than World yeah. War II lasted for. <laughs> oh, he lives and breathes it. And, it's nostalgic, um, maybe. Yeah. Convinced my niece that Adolf Hitler was her great uncle. That was amusing. Oh, my God. So every time he comes on TV, Ellie, it's, it's Uncle, uncle Adolf. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's like being at the Merkel house. <laughs> yeah, our, our original name was Hitler. We just had to change it in the forties. <laughs> um, no, it's not a laughing matter. There's nothing funny about Nazism. Um, no, there's not. But the, you, you can see that I see the humor in what you're saying. Isn't that sad? We actually have to say that now, though. Oh yeah. Is everything so sensitive? Oh, ridiculously so. I mean, um, um, Andy ended up leaving Boko Revival Group for um, a long time because he posted footage of his father um, singing um, some traditional gypsy song that he'd been raised with. Um, he's Polish. Yes. And, um, there was uh, some woman um, from um, the States. I tend to find that people from the States are more, more prickly, um, and I don't know why that is. But uh, she suddenly... I have ideas. And, um, and basically called him a racist and everything under the sun. 
Um, oh. She was a gypsy. You can't don't use the word gypsy. That's as bad as oh, the yeah. word. And he was basically, sorry, that is my heritage. <laughs> no, I'm sorry that that might be offensive <laughs> where you are, but I'm British. So how that? I had a friend, dead Tony. He's dead now. Who would use the term gypsy to describe anything that was rigged or not right? Like a dice game. Yes. It's a gypsy <laughs> dice game, or it's a gypsy card game, or a gypsy lottery. Yeah, he's pretty cool. He's dead, though. We have, a, we have a lot of communities around where I am, um, and um, they're always riding um, carts around with horses on it. And, and we've got a. a, a, a sorry? Are they, what are they called? Tinkers or something over there? They're, they're, that's um, what they in used Ireland. to call Irish people. Yeah, in Ireland, um, um, the, uh, the Irish um, gypsies. Um, Andy seems to think that they're not the, they're not from the same um, um, as the the Romanies. I, I don't know. It's not like but, gypsy uh, is a place. I mean, you can't really be racist against gypsies. No, no, so it's just can't a be. thing. Just a thing. I got questions from the audience. Yeah, if I may steer this conversation. Aside here, um, do you think there was a historical Merlin or King Arthur? Um, not in the way that those stories are presented. Those are beautiful, wonderful stories. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and then the Welsh versions. Um, I've got to um, big up my uh, my heritage in Wales <laughs> from the Baron. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, if you can get hold of the Mabinogian, they are, I think I've pronounced that correctly, um, those versions of the stories are very, very different and are very earthy um, and just sumptuous and lovely. And, um, yeah. Uh, but there certainly seems to have been somebody. I mean, there seems to have, there's, there's theories about a guy called Bear or something um, who was um, a basically a warlord. Um, and Arthur apparently translates to Bear. But the, one of the things that you'll find here is that you have things connected with Arthur all over the place. Um, you'll find it up in the Lake District. You'll find them in Scotland. You'll find them down south. Um, I, I don't believe that one man could have traveled around that much and done all of this kind of like different stuff um, under the transport that they had. <laughs> so um, it's just a British myth. It, it, I always understood it to be like a title, almost. But I think like Anunnaki, well that, <laughs> or Cleopatra, yeah, station. I think there's an awful lot of the Arthurian legends and the actual story of King Arthur himself that you can see as being a uh, um, parallel to um, the story of Jesus. Right, I was going to bring that up. A lot of similarities there. I mean, Merlin kind of um, making it possible. Um, and bringing the baby to is it a grain um, and telling her she's going to have this son. I mean, in Merlin, you've practically got the story of the Immaculate Conception here. And he's Gabriel. Um, and then you've got the baby kind of um, being raised and is the king is going to save everything. And mm -hmm. then it, he, he kind of like he's, he dies, um, like mentally becomes uh, an emotional wreck and bitter. And he's like... Uh, He's just like asleep. He's not moving. And then when the grail comes, he's reawoken and reborn. And even in that, you've got a, a resurrecting Godman story. Um, so 
I think that that idea has been with us in a lot of different traditions. I mean, you can find a lot of um, similarities in um, um, from the Christian story in Nordic uh, myths and legends as well, um, in Celtic, um, Cthulhuan, the uh, the the warrior half god. Um, you'll find a lot of these resurrection stories. So I, I just think that's what it is. But yeah, there's no reason why it couldn't have been based on somebody um, at some point. We obviously, we don't have any record of them. Right. It was so long ago. Yeah, imagine what else has been lost. Mm-hmm. All right, now the other question I have is like, a you get to pick. Okay. So it's a, the question was, what are your thoughts on Doctor Who or Tolkien? Oh, I'd go. Oh, <laughs> I like I like the early Doctor Who. I mm-hmm. like the old black and white ones, and I like John Pertwee, That's and I like Tom Pertwee. Baker mm-hmm. and Peter Davison. Uh, when I was a kid, it was Tom Baker and Peter Davison who was Doctor Who, and and then it went very odd and a bit crappy um, with Colin Bacon and um, Sylvester McCoy. And now, it's which crazy. one is the one with the afro? That was Tom Baker. Tom Baker. Yeah. Jelly yes. baby. That's the one I will always remember. He's always the one with a bag of jelly babies that he offers people. <laughs> he solves an alien problem with a jelly baby. He's <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. So, so, yeah, but Tolkien was not a thing for me at all. I read Lord of the Rings when I was about 18, and it took me years to read <laughs> it. Most boring book I've ever read. <laughs> I, I concur. It was like reading the um, the um, table of elements, you know, <laughs> kind of like a born son of carbon, son of lithium, beryllium, um, oxygen of, you know, <laughs> God, man. There's a great Tom Lehrer song that lays that out in a nice mnemonic way for you. I like him. Yeah. Um, what, it's the story about the girl who kills her family I absolutely love, and I can't think what it is. Um, I discovered him on a CD put out by Gilbert Sheldon, who did the Freak Brothers. Oh, yeah, 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 maybe. Yes. Uh, I oh, it's called The Irish Song. The Irish Song, yes. The Irish Ballad. <laughs> Irish Ballad is amazing. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's Poisoning Pigeons in the Park, which is also very good. I don't know. I, I should get a complete compilation of him because he was hilarious. I wasn't aware of him over here. Whether or not he was ever big here, I just don't know. He was never big here. Was he not? No. Well, he was eclipsed he was by... Being on all the talk shows. Uh, not like... Um, I can't remember the other guy's name. Who's, who did the Hello Mother, Hello Father guy? Hello Mother. Hello Mother, Hello Father. I know, right? You, Jerry, I'm surprised you're not on that already. I, I'm looking it up. I don't remember his name. Alan Sherman. Alan Sherman eclipsed... Tom Lehrer. And Tom Lehrer had a very, uh, I would say it was black comedy, his, his music, versus Sherman, which was everyman music, you know? So he was kind of stuffed in that memory hole. I, I tell you who I absolutely adore, who has come out of something kind of similar, is Tom White. I just think oh, the yeah. man is... Genius. Tom Waits oh, is yeah, fantastic. He, he, he makes me laugh out loud. And yet, yeah. then he does the darkest thing ever. Mm-hmm. About, you know, um, 
the guy who set his wife's house on fire. <laughs> How about, I like my town with a little drop of poison. <laughs> He's well-rounded. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. a, lot, a lot of his art, a lot of his music is art. So it's mm-hmm. performance art as well as good music, which is even better. Camp Grenada. Thank you, Suzanne. All right. That is oh, it. Yeah. I can't choose. That is the answer to me question. I quite like Tolkien now. So I can't <laughs> no. choose. All right. Um, one more question, and then I'm going to call it. Go on, then. Who's your favorite Beatle? If you have one. Do you know what? It used to be John. And then I discovered he was a bastard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then it was Paul because he was actually an amazing songwriter. And um, The first and... Paul or the second one? But I think George Harrison's incredibly underrated. His song, I agree. Star, Gently Weep, is the, yeah. one of the best Beatles songs ever. And you know, that almost didn't make it onto the album. Just because it was a George Harrison song, and that's and that song is amazing, absolutely amazing. And I, I think Ringo is just bonkers. I think he's mental. Um, Beware of Darkness is a really good George Harrison song. I like the humor of Ringo. Mm-hmm. You know, in those films, it's him who's the star; he's the main character. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And and, and um, I've not seen the Caveman film he made. I want to see that. It's not good. If you, is it not? No, but I, I've seen it. Caveman films. <laughs> if you want to see a really bad one, it's called, I think, 1 BC with Jack Black. and. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What was the name of the one that came out recently? Well, I'm saying recently, within the past 10 years, it was um, yes. like fighting the saber-toothed tiger on the poster. Oh, yeah, what's his name with that? Oh, God, what's his name? It was terrible. What was it? Oh, what is his name, that main actor? The comedy guy. Caveman oh. movies. <laughs> I was drugged to it, and it was, I should have been drugged for it. It was terrible. I tell you what, um, I'm, I, I met Ray Harryhausen a couple of times, um, enough to say that I knew him. Um, not that I dare say he would say that he knew me. Um, and um, there, we, there was one time um, he, uh, he was asking for questions, and I um, and I actually uh, just said, I just really want to thank you um, for you, you've changed my life. And he was like, "Thank you very much." He said, "In what way?" I said, "You put Raquel Welch in." <laughs> in a uh, yes, I said it got me through some very difficult times as a teenager. <laughs> Raquel was well built. Oh my god. So he said to me, he said, what did, you, what did you think of my dinosaurs? And I went, yeah, they were okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but he was a lovely old man. He was a, he was a lovely guy. I was very sad when he died. Um, Raquel's uh, coming, that commercial, that she, advert. She's still alive, she's too. Yeah. Oh, I can't believe she was engaged to Leo Sayer. Oh. The, the musician, and they live and they live next door to John Holmes. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't Leo Sayer? He had a, he was a musician, right, in the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Yeah. He had a great big afro. He yeah, still got. I was going to say. Yeah. Um, I don't remember anything that he sang. He was just this funny, weird little bloke. With, he had a very high voice. Yep. It was very yeah, like distinct. One hit song. 
Um, yeah. Or he was quite big over here, well, he was from over here. But I saw him interviewed and he said, um, so there'd be sunbathing and everything in the garden and John Holmes is filming a, a movie <laughs> over the side of the fence. And we used to go and look over the fence to see what was going on. And um, on more than one occasion, John Holmes had invited him to go and take part in the film. <laughs> oh my God, that's hilarious. See, Leo, Sh- Leo Sayer just reminds me of... It's like... The exercise. Oh, yeah, Richard I know who you mean. Yeah, the same. Richard yeah. Simmons. He reminds yeah. me of Richard Simmons. There's a similarity there, for sure. The character, isn't he? Yeah. They both are, really. All right. Well, that's like we're almost at two and a half hours. I oh, know. This God. has you been sleep? fantastic. You need to get to sleep. I never sleep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the joke. You sleep about like seven o'clock in the morning, and I've gone, oh, what's the point? I'm up. I slept for an hour. I'm up. Yeah. Anyway, well, thank you very much, Sean. Was there anything you'd like to plug? Oh, um, yeah. Go, I've got these fiction books. Nobody ever buys them. And um, <laughs> um, because they're only small, short, and they're novellas more than anything. Um, I just put them up myself on Lulu. Um, and there's a collection of short stories on there, some of which is um, maybe about some of the stuff that we're talking here, and then some of them aren't. They're just like contemporary short stories. Um, there's a very funny one in there about a Nigerian prince conversation. Um, um, and there's quite a few Jack the Ripper stories in there as well, because I was a bit obsessed with that time. So if you go to um, lulu.com slash spotlight slash John D. Chadwick, um, you'll you'll find my books, um, and the link is now in the description. And then, obviously, you know, come and listen to our podcast because yes. yes. uh, I'm a I'm a gobshite there as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a really good show. Yes, with the wonderful Melissa Martel, who we've had on. Yeah, she's great. Um, she she is wonderful. Well, we're trying to do something different. Um, I mean, it hasn't quite been the same as what we originally intended, um, because we were thought we could kind of like get all kinds of like things happening live under the camera. Um, the the nearest thing that to what I originally thought with that aspect was when we had Cobweb Mayors on doing automatic drawing live on the show. Um, but quite often, you know, I'll just do an illustration whilst somebody's uh, um, telling us of something. Some topic, and yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted to be able to do kind of like um, you know sketches of like if somebody's seen um, like a cryptid or something, right? Tell me what it looks like, and I'll draw it. Because in all of these books, whenever you see the drawings, you know honestly you can't tell jack shit from them, can you? I mean, some of them have drawn in Crayola, and, it, and yes. you're supposed to look at that and go, "Oh, right, so that's what it looked like." <laughs> well, here we are. There's an artist here, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Identicate. Let's you, you tell me what the man in black looks like, and I will draw him. We'll change his nose. We'll get him looking the way that he should be. I have an yeah. idea for a comic, so I will be in touch. Oh, really? Yes, I do. It's a really good one. Okay, you'll like it. Hey, I tell you what, I love Akira, um, and I like a lot of Japanese, like mm. the quality stuff, yeah. um, like um, um, manga, Katsuhiro. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, mm. wonderful, wonderful stuff. We'll need Grimstake to uh, work through the anime. Yes. 
Oh, you were talking about Full Metal Alchemist um, last last show. Oh, I noticed. Really? Yeah, somebody was talking about magic in 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 oh. manga. Yeah, we were. And, yes. uh, yeah. and I instantly was thinking Full Metal Alchemist, Full Metal Alchemist, Full Metal Alchemist, <laughs> and finally said it. <laughs> it's like, that's the weirdest cartoon I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good. I think and the occult normalized and put out for children. Wow. Well, you should watch the Netflix live action version of it if you really want to get freaked out. Uh, no, I wanted to do the cartoons first. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm a madman like that. I will actually go right to the beginning and what because I feel like I need to know before diving in. So I've recently gone right the way back to the very first episode of Dark Shadows. Mm. And Melissa was saying to me, it is rubbish until Barnum's wow. Tomb. Yes. It wasn't. It was great. I loved it. <laughs> it, was, yes. it was like oh, Twin Peaks. Um, have you seen so the good. show on sci-fi called The Magicians? I haven't. You might like no. that. I took a look at Lex the other day. I thought, what the hell is this? I've never heard of this. And then I realized that the special effects guys from Core, Core Digital, um, I actually met many years back. Mm. Um, you know, obviously yeah. animation. I never uh, heard yeah. of Lex. Is it, um, what is it? It's a pornographic um, science fiction TV show. Um, I mean, really, it's, it's like something that the French oh. would have done in the 70s. Like, um, it's like... It's like almost like Barbarella or something. Yeah, but it only was like one season, right? It sounds well, I, I don't know. It, it looks really very 90s TV and the special effects, you know, they're not a day standard and you've just got to take that on the chin, you know. Oh, <laughs> check that out. Yeah, no, it's four, four seasons. Very cool. Yeah, that was weird. Um, I like a lot of Japanese films, um, Japanese gangster films. and. Um, oh, yeah. Master. The 70s Japanese gangster films are just brilliant. There's so much great stuff in the 70s that was happening. I don't, I don't watch modern cinema at all. I'm catching yeah. everything that's been going on around the world for years. You just yeah. reminded me, speaking film. of Japanese gangster films from the 70s, um, Woody Allen's film, What's Up Tiger Lily? Have you ever seen that? It's a Japanese gangster film that he bought the rights to and then redubbed it with Crazy English. Oh, that sounds amazing. It's, uh, it was hilarious when I was a kid. I don't know how funny it is now. I'm just not a Woody Allen fan. I don't think it, I know the film and I didn't think it was that great, but I don't like Woody Allen. I like Sleeper. There was My one... opinion on Woody Allen has changed since yeah. a lot of the information came out about him, as it has with Daughter. a lot of people. Yeah. I, I, I adore Iggy Pop and I adore David Bowie. But finding out about some of their activities in the 70s has made me feel very, very um, unsure about, uh, you know, but it, it, let's separate art from, uh, you know, their cultural importance is obvious. You know? I think it, this is one of the reasons why I, I, I've always been this way too. I like to just, I like to experience the art separate from the biography of, some, even if you know them. You know, it's like, in some ways, you just have to. You can't deny the importance of Michael Jackson. Right, but then you get, you know, and then you yeah. get into the biography of him, and it's... But the, is that a reason to ban his music? I just don't think so. No, I don't think anything should be banned, personally. Because, well, they might mean either. I mean, don't forget, they did try burning Beatles records. Um, the whole censor culture has to go. Yeah, we we need to stop with that. It need, thing everything needs to exist and have its space. If you don't want to go there, don't go there. Now no, that, 
We know nothing about Beethoven, what he was up to, do we? No. <laughs> or Mozart. Or just some, some of the letters that surface. To the, you know, with the push to digitize our world today, book burning or censorship is essentially deletion. Mm. And, the, you know, the source material may not exist anymore. So in that way, it's really bad. Yeah. Anyway, thank Scary you. world. So, I know we so could much. keep going. Yeah, we could have like a six hour. I'll come back. I'll, I'll, I'd love to come back. We'll have oh, you back for something else that we got working yeah. on. So, all right. Yeah. Okie dokie. Cool. Taking well, thank you so much, John. It was a pleasure speaking to you. And thank you, Nish. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And next week we have, was it Sorolta next week? Oh, yes. She's our May Queen. That's right. May 1st. <laughs> Sorolta, yes. Sorolta Hey. yes. So, I don't know anything That's about her. It should good. be good times. <laughs> so. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you, John, so much. Thank this you. was wonderful. And uh, definitely tune in next week. Sorolta is fantastic. She used to do backup for ministry. She's oh. got a great pedigree. She's wonderful. Yeah. Hungarian fabulousness. Yep. You're not putting enough out, you know. I'm in some. I'm an insomniac, and I'm, I'm listening to you <laughs> when, when I'm away. <laughs> and uh, you know, I keep you, listening to them over and over again. <laughs> you are our. This this episode is our 80th episode. Yeah. Oh my god. I need 81. I'm an addict, man. <laughs> I love that you are 80th though. That is very significant. The eight. Oh. I'm, On four oh. two four. Yes. All right, people. Everyone, you have a good night, and we'll talk to you next week.